Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Karen Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Happy Hot Take Thursday. Busy day coming up here on Carriker and Smallman. Michelle, good morning. Good morning, Randy. How are you? It doesn't feel like a Thursday today. I, I know, know this why. week has just flown by it for really me. It really has. Maybe it's because we have great World Series action we've been paying attention to. It's a great thing, and we better savor this World Series action. Even though the series is now at least going to go five games because of a Tampa Bay 6-4 win over the Dodgers last night. But by next week at this time, the World Series will be over. That's sad to and think about. aside from football, sports will be over. For a while. Yeah. And it's just winter. Winter is coming. Yeah, it is. But today, 84 degrees. Record highs in St. Louis. So take advantage of that, too. Get outside today while you can. I'm going to get a bike ride in. There's no doubt about it. We have to get outside, you and I. So we'll be out there. Yeah. And you you got out for a run yesterday? Yeah, it was was beautiful running weather. Just cool enough yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're on what, Randy? Day 22 of this thing? Yeah, we're rolling. I was on your neck of the woods. I played at uh, Far Oaks yesterday. Oh, Illside, 618. How was it? It was good. The the front nine was much better. I had a disaster hole on the back nine, so that happens. But the weather, which I thought would be horrible, actually wound up not being bad. It didn't rain until our 18th hole. It stayed in the mid-50s, almost 60 degrees. It was comfortable. There was no wind. It was good. Do you have one disaster hole every time you play? Pretty much. When I play... My best, that's what I avoid, is that one disaster hole. But my game generally consists of at least one nine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just one? Yeah. Yeah, I have a few of those. Yeah, and four putts, they're the worst. Normally I play to win the game, not when I play golf. That's <laughs> just to have fun. That's a good thing. We're going to talk to Greg Amzinger of MLB Network coming up at 7.15. He's on the golf course down in Texas. And he's playing with John Smoltz and Dan Plesak today, so I'm sure he's having a good time. Yeah, what a day for, for Greg. Yeah. I'm glad that we could be his appetizer. Yeah. And and Dan Verk, your old buddy from ESPN, is going to join us. He, of course, now for MLB Network and MLB Network Radio. And we have to ask him about movies. He is a cinephile. Oh, he's he has the a cinephile best. podcast. And, you know, with baseball wrapping up, with only football being on the docket, we're going to need some movies. So Adnan can steer us through what movies to watch as it gets colder. And not many new movies. No. Because the studios were shut down and the theaters were shut down. So hopefully you can give us some good tips. And maybe some classics that you need to revisit or that you've never checked out. Last night in Arlington, the Rays, even the World Series, at a game apiece with a 6-4 win over the Dodgers. Brandon Lau got things started for the Rays early on. Here's the 3-1 and a fastball swung on and hit well. Left center field and it's gone! And what a moment this has to be for Brandon Lau. We just told you about the slump. 
how deep it was, how long it has lasted. And he goes the other way for a home run to give the Rays a one to nothing lead in the first inning. Second hitter of the game with Blake Snell on the mound for you. Pretty good. Feels pretty good at that point. And it felt even better when Tampa Bay scored two in the fourth, and then mm-hmm. Lau stepped in with a runner aboard in the fifth. The 0-2 and a swing and a ball sent to left field. Hit pretty well. Going to back Taylor, and it's off to the wall. Up wall and gone. Another opposite field home run for Brandon Lau. His second home run of the game, and the Rays now lead 5 to nothing. 5 to nothing was the score when the Dodgers scored two in the bottom of the fifth. Each team scored a run in the sixth. Dodgers made it close with a run in the eighth to make it 6-4, to four, but that Tampa bullpen was able to shut things down. The set and the pitch. Did he go? They appeal down to first, and he did. Chris Guccione says he went after that down and away slider. Castillo strikes out Taylor. And the Rays win game two by a score of 6-4 to four to even up the World Series at a win apiece. Snell goes four and two-thirds, Michelle. Ian Anderson uh, came on and uh, was it not Ian Anderson. It was Nick Anderson came on. He got the win with one of the, uh, and a third innings of one run ball. Tony Gonsolin took the loss. And our guy Pete Fairbanks pitched an inning in two-thirds and looked good. How about in the seventh inning, huge moment, I believe it was the second out. He just blew Chris Taylor away. Was great. I was screaming, Randy. I, I fist pumped. I'm cheering so hard for the Rays and for friend of the show, Pete Fairbanks. And it's so cool to get to see a local guy succeed in that moment. It was pretty fun. And he, uh, his, his story about being at a World Series yes. game gets told on a national basis. I texted you. I go, did Joe Buck just use a nugget from our <laughs> show last night of the broadcast? That was very cool. We need to get, you know, like I could text, like texted you last night, though. We need to get some sort of character and Sm- this this baseball nugget brought to you by character yeah. and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Just a little uh, a little bug <laughs> in the lower left-hand corner of the screen. That's right. I think that'd be fun. That'd be good. So if you didn't hear the other day, Brent, uh, Pete Fairbanks went to game one of the 2011 World Series. And uh, we, we didn't really go in depth with him, but he was a high school kid, so I, I, I get it. But he was kind of rolling the dice when he got... Tickets off of Craigslist and picked them up at a gas station near the Krispy Kreme in South County. Yeah, and then he shows up. He said they were pretty good seats. He, he even knew standing the, room next to the Bradders. Yeah, he knew exactly where they were. Um, that was a that was a cool story. But think about that in that moment. Okay, here's a guy who loves baseball, St. Louis kid, mm-hmm. is thinking, okay, I just have to do whatever I can, even if it's meet up with a stranger at maybe a <laughs> potentially sketchy location, <laughs> and hopefully this isn't me getting robbed to get these tickets to go to the World Series. And now here he is on the mound, striking people out. Yeah, and here is that story. Let's see. Um, I think the only World Series game I was I've been to was in '11. Um, my buddy and I got standing room only tickets uh, from somebody off Craigslist at a gas station out uh, on that Krispy Kreme off of 44 down in, um, I don't know what the technical name for that area is. But, um, yeah, yeah, it was just down in, and, I mean, I remember we showed up early. Just we were uh, right on the on the right, right on the right of the batter's eye. There was a little staircase up to some bleachers that we kind of hung out on the whole game. Had a pretty good view. So that's, I said that's really the only uh, the only game I've been to, and then I went down and uh, to Game Seven in 2011 after they uh, they won it and was down there for their on field celebration. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. 
Hopefully he gets another on-field celebration. That would be fun. Meanwhile, for Brandon Lau, who had really struggled heading into this game, and his manager, Kevin Cash, stuck with him. This was a big home run. Oh, man, I hit the first one, and it was like a weight came off my shoulders. You know, I was happy to finally start contributing to the team that's uh, carried me through so much struggle so far. And for Blake Snell, who got the start and pitched well for the Rays, he's finally getting an opportunity after winning a Cy Young and winning a lot of Warcraft to pitch <laughs> in the World Series. I just think it's kind of crazy how it all, how it all happened. Um, I still think it's crazy that I'm in the big leagues right now and we're you know, in the World Series, you know, facing the Dodgers. I think it's, it's all crazy to me, but, you know, I don't, I don't really know what I think about it. It's just kind of cool that he's here able to watch. So I think that's the coolest part about it. Well, that and being able to avoid the Rona, bro. Yeah, bro. Good win, bro. That <laughs> was. So do you like Tampa's chances better now? I still have the Dodgers winning in six. I have the, I picked the Dodgers in seven. And I, I certainly like Tampa's chances more, but I just think if you get to a game seven, and I think this is going to be back and forth, back and forth. Um, these are these are two teams that are going to fight all the way till the end. But I just think the Dodgers, in the end, will have too much firepower. Michelle, this is Hot Take Thursday. We invite everybody to use the 101 ESPN mic drop feature, the Rhino Shield mic drop feature, to give us your hot take, or you can send us a, a text at the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. I was driving down the highway yesterday, and I saw a van, and it made me think of my hot take, and I don't know if it's really that hot. Okay. So, clearly, in our lifetimes... Of all the spectacular inventions, the internet is the greatest invention, right? Mm -hmm. Second greatest invention of our lifetime is Amazon. No doubt. It, and I don't. I know you've got the ability to buy tickets on StubHub or from Teams. Uh, you have incredible access to videos and those with YouTube and with ESPN.com on the internet. We've. We've invented the massive jet airplane, you know, the 767 and the 747 during my time. Like, uh, there have been obvious advances from a computer perspective, uh, not only just that we use every day, but in our everyday lives, like driving a car or using a phone. You know, the, the phone that we use, my phone, your phone, has more power in it than the computer that was used to send Apollo 13 up to space. That's frightening. Yeah, it is. It's incredible. Because when you were thinking, when you were saying best inventions, I'm assuming you're tying the iPhone and the internet together. Yeah, I am. Because the yeah. iPhone has changed everything. It really has. You think about that. What we what we hold in our hands every day has more computer power than when Neil Armstrong walked on the face of the moon. Okay, but think about that. And what do we use this incredible power for? To tweet things at people, yeah, right, to take right. pictures of ourselves. We have really misused this power. We have yeah. access to a lot of information and it connects a lot of people, but you'd think that we would be doing better things. Yeah. But hot take Amazon, number two. Okay. Yeah. I mean, especially Prime. It's there the next yeah, day. It's amazing. Anything you want. Yep. There the next day. I think it's ruined us in some ways, though, because I can't wait for anything now. No. And it's obviously ruined shopping at. Brick and mortar stores. Yeah. And ma malls. What are malls now? Yeah. Not Parking the same. lots? Not the same. No. No. Malls used to be everything. Yeah. Remember you would get with your oh, friends. Man. Hey, I want to go get a, an Annie Ann's pretzel and walk yeah. around the mall. Day. Awesome. When I got my driver's license when I was 16, the very first place I drove to was the mall. Really? Yep. Chesterfield Mall. 
I don't even, I mean, I think I just drove home. Oh, from the... <laughs> Yeah. I don't even think I had anything cool to do, which is sad. <laughs> I, you've done a lot of cool stuff. Since. That's true. That's true. Thanks, Randy. Coming up, we're going to visit with MLB Network's Greg Amzinger. He's on a golf course in Texas. We'll find out which one. He's with Dan Plesak and John Smoltz. And he's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Greg Amzinger told us several weeks ago that he didn't want to quarantine for a few days so that he could go down to the field. He said, I want to play golf when I'm down (laughs) at the World Series in Texas. And lo and behold, that is what's happening. We're at 69 degrees and clear as Greg tees off. MLB Network's lead anchor, of course, a product of the Lindenwood University in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, our friend here on Carriker and Smallman. Good morning, Greg. How are you doing? Uh, you, you forgot and improving golfer. So if you could just like add that to the introduction, and, Randy, I'd be really appreciative. And dramatically improving golfer. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> you. There are people out there, Greg, who used this time during the summer, during quarantining, to isolate themselves and improve themselves. You isolated yourself on the golf course, and it has made a difference. Yes. Uh, some people would say I improved myself too much uh, in <laughs> other facets of life. I, I grew a beard. As you know, I, I, I let my hair grow out. The bosses were not huge fans of that, although my wife was, believe it or not. I think she thought I was a different guy. So, um, you know, th- things are weird now because I got rid of it. But she, she did like the quarantine beard. Uh, she, she, she was supportive of the golf game um, because she didn't like the way all the other buddies of mine made fun of me every time they saw me after I played around. And, Greg, I know that you are golfing with some former baseball players today. I'm assuming that you've done that a lot. So tell us, who is one current or former baseball player that you've played with that has just blown you away with how good they are at golf? Oh, my goodness. They're they're all different creatures. (laughs) They're not normal human beings. What I did to myself was, uh, was borderline torture. I imagine you've never played golf. You're 33 years old. Now I'm 41. And you decide to pick it up and you pick it up playing foursomes with professional athletes. So, so I'm, right now I'm in the car with Dan Plesak. We're driving to a golf course. Guy hits the ball 300 yards off the tee. He's mad, like mad when he misses a birdie putt. <laughs> I'm walking away going, I had two birdie chances <laughs> in 18 holes. So, so these guys are completely different animals. I'd say, you know, look, Dan's amazing golfer, uh, John Smoltz. You've all seen him play on the Golf Channel. He's obviously terrific. One guy who is sneaky great is John Hart, the former GM of the Indians and uh, president of baseball operations for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, he's in his 70s now, but he's, his short game is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, there have been other guys. I played with Tyler Clippard, and I saw spin on a golf ball I've never seen before. The spin was circular. I, hmm. I don't know how you do that. How do you do that? The ball, the golf ball was spinning in a circular fashion. So it's ridiculous that I'm out there playing with them. I try to entertain them while we play so they don't kick me off the course. <laughs> I don't feel bad at it. So the two six five lefties will be out on the Texas Rangers golf course today down in Arlington. Meanwhile, tonight, you've got a, a night off after the Rays tied the World Series last night. And it was so important because it was only Randy Rosarena, Greg, in the first couple of rounds. So important to get a guy like Brandon Lau going. You know, people need to understand that if the Rays don't get Brandon Lau going, they don't beat the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're heavy underdogs for a reason. Brandon Lau was their best hitter by far this regular season. 
led the team in hits, in home runs, in RBIs, in runs scored. If they don't get him going, it's over. Because you can't expect Randy or Rosarina to hit 396 throughout the fall classic. They're going to make adjustments. They're going to try to force other people to beat them. The guy's got ridiculous power. Last night we saw uh, in batting practice him actually work on taking the ball the other way. He had two opposite field home runs. Would you believe he had 14 home runs during the regular season? Those were his first two opposite field home runs of the year. So it worked. He needed to do something, make an adjustment. If they get this guy going, there's one player that's not playing that's really frustrating me. It's actually annoying me. It's Mike Brasso, the guy that hit the holdest against the Royal Chapman mm-hmm. and knocked the Yankees out. they got to put that guy back in the lineup. Even last night, he didn't get a single ball thrown to him. It was 0-2, but it felt like it was 0-2 for five minutes. He fights off good pitches. To me, the way he his approaches at the play, he reminds me of the way DJ LeMahieu battles for the Yankees. He's a great at bat every single time. Ever since he hit that home run, he's had, I think, 12 postseason at-bats. Throughout the entire ALCS, he only had 10 at-bats. And then he had two in the World Series. Put that guy back in the lineup. Added boost offensively. And let's make this a good World Series. I'm so elated that the Rays won that game. Because on Friday, they're going to have to face Walker Buehler, whose last start was impeccable. I know they got Charlie Morton, but he's probably going to be allowed to throw 66 pitches again. So I think advantage Dodgers win for them. Greg, now that we've seen both of these teams take one of these games, it looks like it's going to be a great series. It looks like it's going to be back and forth. But has your opinion changed at all now that you've seen two games in this World Series of who you think is going to win? No, no. I think the Dodgers are still going to win the World Series. And and that's not a knock on the Tampa Bay Rays. They just don't have the offensive firepower. When Cody Bellinger, fresh off a 47 home run campaign where he won the MVP, is batting sixth, I asked our research firm to look that up. I'm like, how many times is a reigning MVP bat sixth or lower of the following postseason? And you have to go back to 1971, Boog Powell, okay? It's been almost 50 years since an MVP, a reigning MVP, has batted sixth or lower. That's not a knock on Cody Bellinger. That, that is just a testament to the depth, awfully, of the Los Angeles Dodgers. That is how good they are. On the other side, I love I love me some G Man Choi, but he's batting clean up. <laughs> if G Man Choi was a Dodger, dude, be batting eight, and Jock Peterson would be salty that he was hitting in front of him. So uh, you can't you can't compare the lineups. I just think uh, you know it's, the depth is going to be the difference in this World Series. Greg, what's it like in that ballpark with the limited number of fans and with the the vibe that they have now for this year's World Series? It's so weird, Randy. Um, a lot of testosterone in, in, in that ballpark. People are yelling at each other. You got Tampa Bay fans that travel, and you got many more Dodger fans that travel. But we're sitting there. We got a beautiful little perch because we're not allowed to be on the field. We have all this different kind of security clearance, and we didn't quarantine, so we can't be around the players. Good reasoning, so though, so that you can be out in golf today, that's right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's all about, Randy. That's all we were really worried about. But we are getting tested regularly. We we wake up in the morning, and we're all spitting in a tube in, in a room. And, and I looked around, and I had an epiphany. I'm like, wait a minute. It's 620 in the morning, and we've got 20 production employees from MLB Network with our masks off all spitting in a tube in the same room. Uh, how is this safe? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so anyway, uh, you got me, got me on, slightly off track. Um, but no, I just, look, I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't. I forgot what my original point was. No, we're I was talking about people yelling at each other. The testosterone in the ballpark. Yeah, no. These two t- 
teams want to win. The fan bases are kind of into it right now. So I, I love it. And, and let me just tell you, Globe Life Field is one of my top five ballparks. It is. Mm, wow. It is, it is glamorous, man. It, it, you got to check it out. It, it is worth traveling to Dallas for. It's that special. It's, it's, it's a mix of three ballparks. Chase Field in Arizona, Miller Park in Milwaukee because the retractable roof, the way it goes and it gets open, reminds me of Miller Park. And then I would throw in uh, Minute Maid, the charm of Minute Maid Park mm. in Houston. It's a wonderful ballpark. I took all the good things from those three yards and put it in one ballpark. That's really cool, Greg. We'll have to check it out once we're allowed to. <laughs> that sounds like an awesome time. Okay, so Greg, next segment, we are talking about superstars in baseball. We're going to talk about the Cardinals. And if Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright aren't with the team anymore, do they need a superstar? Do they have a superstar? And it got me thinking last night, is there a face of baseball right now? Because you could make the argument for a lot of different guys, uh, uh, you know, Mike Trout, a Mookie Betts, your boy Fernando mm-hmm. Tatis Jr. But is there one guy that stands above the rest that you would say, hey, this is the face of baseball? At one point, we were all forcing Mike Trout to be the face of baseball. I don't think he wants to be. Uh, he's a guy that's just better than everybody else in the sport, but I don't think he wants that moniker, if you will. Fernando Tatis is going to be the face of baseball, if he's not already. Uh, he, he, he looks like a movie star. He acts like a movie star. He, he has all the accessories. He'll wear neon blue sunglasses while he plays. He, he is physically uh, the LeBron James of baseball. He can do everything at a higher level than everyone else. So, to me, that's where we're trending. I don't see another player giving him a run for his money at all. I would say he's the future face of baseball. As I watch the postseason right now, though, I think the current face of baseball is Clayton Kershaw, Greg. I, I, with with the endorsements that he gets, with the fact that he's on the big stage every year, even though he has struggled on the big stage, that's the guy that I would pick right now. As if casual people are going to pick out a baseball player, they say, "Oh yeah, I know who Clayton Kershaw is." You know, I would say I would agree with you if you're a casual, experienced baseball fan like Randy Character. But if you're a young kid and you're like playing video games and you have a lot of that lifestyle, I just don't think Clayton Kershaw moves the needle. Um, in terms of personality, in terms of style, in terms of flair. To me, I I love Clayton Kershaw. Don't get me wrong. First ballot Hall of Famer. He's the best pitcher of our generation. He's not what you want to market around. You're seeing commercials because of his brilliance. But in terms of the future of the game, he is not what Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be. Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be in movies someday. I know that sounds like it's a crazy prediction to make, but you're going to see, you know, the way the way Jim Brown was in in uh, a couple commercials and, and movies, you know, you, you're going to see this guy, Wilt Chamberlain, in movies like Conan the Barbarian. You're going to see a, a remake of Conan the Barbarian. Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be in that movie. So that that to me is what transcends baseball. He's that special of a personality in this specific World Series. You might be on to something, but listen, man, you know Clayton Kershaw. I don't want to knock him because I've enjoyed watching him pitch without a doubt, but I just don't I just think the physical dominance of other athletes is what is connected to Clayton Kershaw. And to me, when you're the face of any sport, that is kind of what you have to have. Greg, I want to give you one more thing. And Michelle mentioned our next segment. And I don't know if I've ever given you this stat, and it's changed now with Ted Simmons being elected to the Hall of Fame. Every single year of the modern era since 1900, the St. Louis Cardinals have had at least one Hall of Fame player in uniform. Every year 
for the last 120 years, the Cardinals, and especially if Yachty goes in, the Cardinals have had at least one Hall of Famer in uniform. If Yachty's That's not amazing. here, isn't that incredible? That's amazing. Yeah. And so if, if Yachty's not here, I don't see a guy on the roster. My question is, do the Cardinals need to continue that streak? Do they need to go find themselves a Hall of Fame player via trade or free agency that they can put out on the field? No, that's a really good question, man. You would say, uh, my instincts would say yes, because that's clearly what Cardinal fans are used to. Uh, unfortunately, they may have they may have traded away that Hall of Fame player. They, they may have gotten rid of that Hall of Fame player. Uh, you know, I, unfortunately, uh, you know, I think Oscar Tavares was going to be that guy. And he would have been in a Carl uniform for a very long time. And the tradition would continue. But that untimely passing through the timeline out of whack. Um, there is something to what you're talking about. I think the Cardinals are always uh, either scouting, signing, drafting, developing, or they're, they're spending smart money to get someone like that. Uh, you know, even Carlos Beltran, you can make an argument. Uh, Lance Burton, mm-hmm. you can make an argument, was a Hall of Famer. They, they kind of go in that direction. I, I, I don't know, man. There's all the talk of uh, you know a quiet offseason coming ahead. There's not going to be a winter meeting. Don't, don't worry. That, that's going to get canceled in a heartbeat. Uh, I, I, I think the Cardinals have to make – they have to make a move. This team is built to win right now. And if you get one of those two guys or both of those guys back, Yadier Molina and, and, and Adam Wainwright, you have to go for it. You've got one of the best pitchers, if not the best, most talented pitcher in the National League uh, in Flaherty. You, you can't be the, the National League bird of, of, of the Angels, where you've got the best player, but you're not a competitive club. So, yeah, the Cardinals need to go get that guy. I don't know if that guy's available uh, in the free agent market. I don't look at JT Real Muto, who's been really hyped up, by the way. He's mm-hmm. a very good, pretty good player. I enjoy watching Starno had a better offensive year than this guy. And I don't think defensively he's what Yadier Molina was in his prime. So I, I, I love the, I love your YouTube. I just don't think that Hall of Famer is going to be available. So that tradition, unlike any other, might come to an end in St. Louis. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, hit him well. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, especially today. You didn't have to do this, but uh, we're, we're glad that you're such a good friend and you did. Uh, listen, Dan Plesek was entertained the entire time. <laughs> All right. So, so if, if you're out on the Texas Rangers golf course, a couple of six five left handers, you know who you're looking at. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. See you, brother. Take care. That's Greg Amzinger, MLB Network on one ES on ESPN. He's the best. Isn't he terrific? Who needs coffee when you get to talk to Greg Amzinger? Talk about energy. Energy. Instant offense from Greg. So the next thing we have is, do the Cardinals need to find that superstar when they don't have Yachty anymore? We'd love to have your input. Does it mean a lot for you, as somebody who invests in the Cardinals, to have them have a superstar player? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> A couple of years ago, the Cardinals had the opportunity to go out and look at free agents, young superstar free agents like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. And I didn't have any trouble with the Cardinals not giving Machado $300 million or Harper 
$330 million. It would have been cool if they would have. Mm-hmm. But I understand that the Cardinals work within the confines of a budget, and they are running a business. And, and I would have liked to have had Machado more than Bryce Harper, but they didn't get them. And Michelle, as we mentioned, since the early 1900s, the Cardinals have had a Hall of Famer on the roster, a, a Hall of Fame player on the roster, every single season. And now with the career of Yadi Molina winding down, it looks to me like they aren't going to have that. And I think it is important. I, I believe, and right now when you look at the health of Nolan Renato, who was on a Hall of Fame track, it doesn't appear that his health is going to allow him to sustain that. But I do believe that the Cardinals, if, if Yadi is not going to be a member of the organization, they need to find that next guy that is the face of the Cardinals and can be that future Hall of Famer. I think that they think that they might have him and Dylan Carlson. I know that we're probably sitting here saying we want to bring somebody in from the outside, somebody that's proven, someone that is electric, that is going to get Cardinal Nation excited. But if you listen to what the Cardinals have said, they think that Dylan Carlson is going to be the face of this franchise. And I think that that is even more proven to them after the second time he came up and he started showing you some good looks and started showing you that he can definitely compete at this level. And it might I don't think it's going to be an hype track where he comes up and he immediately lights the world on fire and the fan base on fire. But I do think that in their minds, they're saying, just be patient because we have a guy that I don't know if they're projecting him as a Hall of Famer. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I do think that they think he is going to be the next face of the franchise. See, and, and I go back to, heck, before I was born, you've gone from Bob, Bob Gibson and Lou Brock, guys who you say, okay, let's go buy a ticket to watch Bob Gibson or Lou Brock play. And then you've got people like Ted Simmons, who was a great hitter. And you say, oh, you say, let's go watch him play. Then the Cardinals get Bruce Suter. Then they get Ozzie. And then they get McGuire, who's not in the Hall of Fame, but probably would have been had it not been for the steroids. Uh, but then you move on beyond him to Albert and the the other players that were borderline Hall of Famers, but Albert's going to be a Hall of Famer. There's always, My point is there's always been a guy to buy a ticket to watch. Mm-hmm. And if Dylan Carlson eventually becomes that guy, that's great. But who are you going to buy a ticket to watch in 2021 if you can buy tickets to watch? If I can buy a ticket to watch in 2021, Carlson? I'm definitely buying a ticket to watch Jack Flaherty. Okay. And so I think that that's the way the Cardinals are looking at this right now. While Paul Goldschmidt might not have the flash that we might desire right now, he's the big fundy, and he is still someone that you like to watch play baseball. Colton Wong does things, if he, in fact, is back with the club, that makes you say, wow, he's electric at times. Mm -hmm. And then I think they're looking at it like, hey, this is the next wave of what this team is going to be. Jack Flaherty, if he remains with the team long term, and Dylan Carlson, who you know is going to be with the Cardinals for a while. And I know that's probably not what the fan base wants to hear, especially when guys that they have moved on from or passed up on, such as Fernando Tatis Jr. or Randy Rosarena, are doing things that make you, you will 
organize your day around mm-hmm. watching Definitely. Randy Rosarena right now or Fernando Tatis Jr. And I don't say if you can say the same thing about any me- one member of the Cardinals right now or if it's just a collective. Because I think that that's kind of the problem, right, Randy? Is that we love baseball so much and we love the Cardinals so much here in St. Louis that they know that the fan base is going to be patient with them while those guys, while Dylan Carlson ascends, while they give them the time to blossom. And even though there is discontent right now within the fan base, they're still going to show up and they're if they're allowed to, and they're still going to tune in and watch games because that's how dedicated of a fan base this is. Let's hear a couple of mic drops. This is Michael on 101 ESPN. It does mean a lot to me that we have superstars. Um, not to say you can't win big and consistently without them. It just makes it so much easier when you have them in your lineup or even in your rotation. Uh, I think it's that amount that we go get at least a superstar, if not a superstar and another borderline superstar. I, I'm glad you feel that way. And I, I agree. Paramount is a good word for it because if you want to maintain this tradition, uh, tradition meets today, then I think that you have to do that too. David is next. In my 46 years of life, the Cardinals have always had a superstar. So, yes, I would like to have a superstar. However, the biggest thing is um, I don't want to watch strikeout after strikeout after strikeout. I'd rather them hit than have a superstar. Couldn't agree more. Well, winning is key, but also winning is a product of having superstars. When you look at the teams that are winning, they've got superstars. So. It kind of goes hand in hand. Right, but you have teams like the Angels that has a superstar that doesn't win. So, you know, sometimes there is, hey, I have a superstar on this team, but we can't get it done. Whereas at least the Cardinals mm-hmm. are a playoff team and they're a team that is in contention or in the discussion every single year. Right. Here's Josh on 101 ESPN. You know, after everything that's happened this year, I think that if Molina wants to walk, let him walk. I mean, you, we've seen deals where the business side has eclipsed the emotional side. And as much as Molina's been the face of the franchise and so much history, it's just what it is. And we don't really need a superstar. We need superstar talent. I mean, if you just look at what superstars have done for their respective teams, not much. Well, and that's the big thing is that the talent doesn't appear to be there either, whether they're superstars or not. Right now, you mentioned Carlson, still a raw talent. Yep. Yachty did have that talent, but Yachty is in decline. Flaherty is that guy right now where, he, like you say, he's electrifying. But in terms of having a position player, it's just not there. You don't have a, a Mookie Betts. No. Mookie Betts is not walking through that door. <laughs> right, exactly. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, Randy, Scotty, and we're ready to go. Michelle, have you seen over the last couple of days the consternation that's taking place among Blackhawks veterans? I've seen some headlines, Randy. Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook have all signed contracts with no movement clauses. And as those players decline in ability, the Blackhawks are trying to rebuild. Jonathan Taves says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not giving up my no movement clause. Duncan Keith seems to be in the same boat. Yet the Blackhawks sent out a letter to fans yesterday saying, yes, we are in the midst of a rebuild, Mm -hmm. but we're going to have these guys around. 
Take it or leave it. When a situation like this arises, it makes you believe that at the end of Alex Petrangelo's contract, Doug Armstrong will be right for not giving him a no-movement clause. I'm going to take it. I understood both sides and their stances at the time. If you're Alex Petrangelo, as he said, you want that stability. You have a young family. You want to know that you have the security in place that, hey, this is where I'm going to be and where my family is going to be. But if you're Doug Armstrong, you're looking down the road and you're saying, hey, business is business. And sometimes your performance might not live up to the standard that we need it to. And moves have to be made. So we are not going to allow the no movement clause. And in the end, I think that's why. And of course, the addition of, of Tory Crew, I think, helped settle fans' minds. But I think so many fans really understood where Doug Armstrong was coming from. As much as they love Petro, they understood, hey, you can't put the organization in a tough spot moving forward. So I'm going to take it. Jonathan Tave said he was shocked. He said, uh, this is completely different, a completely different direction than we expected. Jonathan, the cap in the league is $81.5 million. You four players combined are making 20 about half of that. So it should be what you expected ultimately. You can't keep everybody, and you aren't going to win with a bunch of 37-year-old guys. No, but that's athletes thinking that they're they're still at a certain level. You know, it's, it's very rare that athletes will admit that they're in decline. Right. Yeah. Because for so long, they were able to do whatever they wanted physically. It's a hard reality to accept. It'd be nice if the Hawks could just generate video that didn't have the actual names and numbers of their players and let them watch Keith and Seabrook. And then those guys would say, who are those guys? Like a blind taste test. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Okay, Randy, so we know that it's a mess in Dallas right now. We know that the team is certainly not playing well with Dak Prescott out of the mix. There's a, a, a lot of concern, but I think the more concerning thing is what's happening in the locker room. You have coaches who are, are saying things. You have players who are talking to reporters like Jane Slater saying, hey, these coaches are not good at their jobs. It just is a hot, hot mess. So take it or leave it. When you think back to the drama that circled Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers locker room, you aren't all that surprised that it's happening again in Dallas. I'll take that. Yeah. And especially because that franchise is generally soft. The the owner coddles the players. There is very, look at how long Jason Garrett lasted. There's very little accountability within that franchise. And... Uh, there are obviously players that want to win, but other players that don't want to deal with the demand for excellence. Yeah. And they don't have to. They haven't had to deal with the demand for excellence. So yeah, I, I am not surprised that that's happening. And I think one of the things they probably need to do is get different players. They're on a pace to allow more points than any team in the history of the league wow. defensively. Amazing. Yeah. But when you think back to that, to that era of the Green Bay Packers, so much of the blame got shifted to Aaron Rodgers with former players coming out saying, hey, he's kind of tough to deal with sometimes. I wasn't close with him. He doesn't really develop those relationships. And I think while a change of voice was certainly needed there, no one really wanted to blame Mike McCarthy. There there was more of a, a blame pie, I think, that was divvied up in Green Bay, whether it was personnel decisions or Aaron Rodgers. But it's just interesting to me that that happened in Green Bay, and now history is repeating itself in Dallas. And, and I'm I, not saying it's all his fault, but it's just interesting. And we have... 
kind of outsized expectations because it was Aaron Rodgers. It's hard to win Super Bowls. They went to the playoffs about 75% of the time Mike McCarthy was the head coach there. So relatively speaking, we would have liked that here in St. Louis. We would thought Mike we would have built a statue for Mike McCarthy, right? Yeah. But because <laughs> of the expectations that they had in Green Bay, the outsized expectations of what their franchise should be, they fired the guy. And granted, he'd been around for 10 years. But they still haven't won a Super Bowl since he left either. That's true. Good point. Scotty, what do you got? All right, so the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Take It or Leave It. Guys, we like to celebrate here. We like to celebrate holidays, and today happens to be my least favorite holiday. What's that? Today's National Nut Day. Oh, no. Take it or leave it. Pecans are the best nut. It'll leave that. Almonds are the best nut. Chocolate-covered almonds? Well, I, I like plain almonds. If you can add some dark chocolate, that makes them even better. Uh, pecan pie is good. I, I, I'm not averse to pe- pecan pie, but I, I will not put pecans as the number one nut. And by the way, who are you to determine what's a good nut or not? Yeah, can, that's can, right. you, can you eat pecans? No, it's not me. It's, this oh. is the texter. Oh, the, really? The okay. texter from the 636 okay. said it's National Nut Day, and I research was on it and found out that October 22nd is, in fact, National Nut Day. Wow. We do have a great research you know, here. You know, I'm partial to pistachios. Pistachios are strong? You know. Yep. Hey, I, I can go with a handful of peanuts. Nah. I, I'm uh, eh. in the in the. I know that you say that. Uh, in the right time, peanuts, especially in a trail mix, tremendous. I think you're thinking of peanut butter peanut and butter peanut, is peanut butter too. cups. Oh so yeah. So maybe you're there partial to peanuts because yep. of that. That might be. All right, from the three and four, take it or leave it. Your number one pet peeve is when slow people drive in the fast lane. I'm going to leave that. That's not my number one pet peeve, but that is a peeve. That's a that's a driving pet peeve. No, my number one pet peeve driving is when you're going the speed limit in a middle lane or the right lane and someone is riding your tail and they can clearly go around yeah, you. Yeah, that's bothersome as well. I'm like, go around me. Go yeah. around me. I am following the rules of the road here. Go yeah. around. There's no one else around. Go around me. My number one pet peeve sitting or driving sitting in traffic or driving is the people that will sit at a light that has turned green. Because they're on their phones. Drives me crazy. Yeah. Or just, you know, look around. But yeah, it's generally because they're on their That's phones. That's when I lay on my horn. Good for you. Proud of you. From the 618, take it or leave it. The Pittsburgh Steelers are not only the best team in their division, but they are the best team in the NFL. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that too. I think they were until Devin Bush got hurt on Sunday. Play caller played every single snap for them until he got hurt. I don't know who their defensive play caller is going to be, but you lose an inside linebacker like that, and teams are going to, like the Baltimore Ravens, they're going to start running on you. Who do you think is the best team in the NFL right now? You can make the case for a few. Yeah, I I know that there are people that hate the uh, idea of thinking of Seattle because their defense isn't too mm-hmm. great, but they're in the mix. I I would think. I would pick Seattle against every other team. Even, I would pick Seattle to beat Pittsburgh. I would pick Seattle to beat even the Ravens. Chiefs? Yeah. Because I, I think they win at 48-45. Close game. Russell. MVP. Yep. Let Russell cook. <laughs> Let him cook. <laughs> From the 636, take it or leave it. After the Cardinals free up Fowler and Marp money, they should spend it all in one place on Lindor or Seager. Okay, I'll take that. I'm kind of wanting to leave it. 
because I don't think about the guys that they have given contracts to outside the organization. I've been great. I mean, let's remove Paul Goldschmidt from this conversation, mm-hmm. but it's it's historically recently not all that great. So no, you're right. I would be kind of concerned <laughs> that all of that money was then tied up on one guy. That being said, if you could put Francisco Lindor, let me check his age for us. When he becomes a free agent after next season, he will be 27. You get That's crazy. 27-year-old Francisco Lindor, and you're giving him 19, 25, 35 million a year. I would roll the dice on that. Yeah. I would trade for him if I if I felt confident that I could get him. The thing is, there is no I'm telling you, there's no way that the Cardinals give a player $35 million a year. No. I I would be shocked. Yeah. Even if you made that sensible move. Because if you had, three years ago, if you had the Carpenter, you would be idiots to not do this. If you could have traded Carpenter and Fowler for Lindor and given all that money that you're giving to Carpenter and Lindor, uh, Carpenter and Fowler, giving it to Lindor, Logical people would have taken that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it makes sense. If if you're going to spend that much on those two players who aren't nearly as productive as Lindor is by himself, then why not just spend the money on them? All right, guys. 6570 is the Air Comfort Service text line. And I've been seeing this text a couple of times this week. And I want to relay it to you guys because it confuses me when I read it. It's about daylight savings time. We've been talking about how it's dark in here when we get here early in yep. the morning. Halloween weekend is when it comes up. Daylight savings time. Full moon on Halloween, too. Blue moon, right? I don't know. I just I did an astrology reading for the podcast this week, huh? and he alerted me to a full moon on Halloween. Okay. He said, "Watch out, full werewolves moon are going to be out." Yeah. From the so from the six three six, take it or leave it. You would rather have the late sunrises at the conclusion of daylight savings time than the early sunsets in November through January. Repeat that, please. You would rather they have the suck. late yeah. sunrises at the conclusion of daylight savings time than the early sunsets in November through January. So basically do you, would you rather it be darker earlier or later? I will take the sun being up until later in the evening. So would I. I hate when it's 5 4 5 p.m. and it's dark outside. That was the worst doing the fast lane, oh. especially when we did it till 7 o'clock and it would get dark at 5. And those last two hours, when it would get dark, it seemed like they took like seven hours. And at least when you we, were there, you I know. was. No, I remember. I'm trying to forget. <laughs> I remember, or I, I like when we leave that it's sunny. I do too. And you can have the day out before you. I agree. But yeah, when you leave work and it's already dark outside, it takes a little of your soul. Yeah. Well put. And your nights just feel so much shorter. No matter what you do. Yeah. And, and they are. Seven o'clock feels like midnight. Yeah. Not great. Not great. It's, it's coming. Winter is coming. Don't tell me that because winter is. Stupid. Hashtag winter stupid. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Thanks, Scotty. You got it. Hey, and if you'd like to participate in the fight in a half hour, send us a text with your name and the word fight to 65780. We would love to have you be a part of our show today as we bring you the fight at 8.30. Next up, as we roll on, we've got today's fresh take. What's the biggest issue? The Cardinals evaluating talent incorrectly or not allowing their players enough time to get to the point where they're properly evaluated? That's next on 101 ESPN. 
It is coming up on 8.06 on Carriker and Smallman. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Going to get to the Cardinals in a moment, Michelle. I wanted to clarify something I said about the Blackhawks. Taves, Kane, Keith, and Seabrook make $33.5 million of the $81.5 million cap for the Blackhawks. Those four, and they're all signed through at least 22-23 at those cap numbers. So uh, you've got those guys heading into the twilight of their careers, making 33 and a half. And the reason that I said about half was because Corey Crawford was making $7 million. So you had those five players, including Crawford, that were making about half of about $40 million of the $81.5 million cap. Oh, is that all? Yeah. Jeez. So, so it's going to be a while for them with those guys on the cap. And they're kind of rooting, I would think, for Brent Seabrook to be injured so that they can put him on long-term injured reserve. Oh, wakey-wakey. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So wakey-wakey, Seabrook. We are all watching this postseason, and we're watching what's happening around baseball with other players. Not that he was good this year. There were a lot of players that had bad years in 2020. It was just a weird year. Oscar Mercado had a really good rookie year with Cleveland in 2019. Adolis Garcia was also traded by the Cardinals. We didn't get a real look at him, and he was traded to Texas. He did not have a good year either, but they have hopes for him, and they think that he can be a starting outfielder for them. So, Michelle, when we look at the Cardinals, and we look at guys like Rosarena or the year that Oscar Mercado had and what the Cardinals have received in return for those players... Are you of the opinion that the Cardinals are incorrect in evaluating talent and sending them out? Or in the cases of like Oscar Mercado at the major league level, Randy Rosarena, do they just not give those players enough time to properly evaluate them? Do they make their decisions too quickly or are they wrong? I think there might be a little bit of both in there because you're, it, let's just look at a Rosarena specifically or, or really any of these guys. You're evaluating them enough to bring them into your organization. So I wouldn't say the evaluation there is wrong, but somewhere along the food chain, there is some sort of a disconnect with the evaluation process because you think enough of these guys to bring them to the Cardinals, but not enough to keep them around and give them a run at the major league level. And that's where I think the disconnect is. With a, with a guy like Randy Rosarena, he never really got a chance here. So I know that his talent was raw and they were looking at, you know, an overloaded runway in the outfield and they saw, oh, okay, we're going to get a top-notch pitching prospect for one of these guys in an area where we have a surplus. Okay, I understand the logic behind that move. But you also then have to say, let's hope that the piece of the puzzle that we're giving up is not better than the pieces that we have. And even though the num- some of the numbers are comparable. I just think that that's where they have gone astray because they're making these moves and they're acquiring pieces for some of these guys, but the, the pieces that they're retaining is, are not giving them the production that they need to justify those moves. It does seem they had concerns about a Rosarena's maturity in terms of playing hard all the time, of running out balls to, that were hit to shortstop, things like that. And you're right, for O'Neill and a Rosarena, similar numbers at the minor league level. I would tend to lean towards not giving those players enough time. I understand Matthew Libertor was a great prospect, and that's when that trade is offered a really appealing Mm -hmm. prospect to get. But as you said, the Cardinals, and we talked about it, they had tons of young starting pitching, Mm -hmm. and they needed production in the outfield. And Matthew Libertor was going to be there 
It's not like you couldn't have gone through spring training. And then you let Tampa evaluate your outfielders and you evaluate your outfielders. And then you make that determination. Obviously, the Cardinals whiffed on whiffed uh, in terms of Bader, O'Neill, and uh, Lane Thomas. And right now, you'd have to say that of the four outfielders from a, a Rosarena, O'Neill, Thomas, Bader, that Rosarena is number one, right? He had seven home runs in September. He's at seven in October. And that would equal, that number would equal any Cardinal for the entire season. What he did in September and what he's done in October would equal the Cardinals' most productive home run output for the season. And that's one area of discussion. We, Whenever we have Greg Amzinger on and we talk about Fernando Tatis Jr., it always plants that seed again in my brain of how could the Cardinals have watched him that many times and for that price point not? And, w- and this is a guy and a family who wanted him to come to St. Louis. How could you not have recognized the talent there or wanted to take a flyer on him at that price? And that's where I think the issue is for a lot of fans, too. It's a Fernando Tatis Jr. for under a million dollars. It's a Randy Rosarena who's not going to cost you a lot. These having success and it's not like they had to go out and really mortgage their future to have them here in St. Louis. And the Cardinals selected a shortstop in the draft a couple of years ago named Delvin Perez. Remember he was a guy that was thought to be a top five pick and tested positive for PEDs and the Cardinals were able to get him in the 20s and be reasonably so everybody including the Cardinals were very excited about Delvin Perez. His OPS in 2019 at Peoria was 654. He's had trouble making it to anything above a ball in America in four years now and obviously didn't play in 19 uh, or 2020 uh, anywhere. But here's a guy that you give a bunch of money to as a first round pick in the draft, but you won't spend $700,000 on another shortstop that looks like at least somebody thought he had some promise, right? Mm -hmm. And you did look at him 18 times. Maybe that was poor evaluation on the Cardinals' part. I wonder what they didn't see in Fernando Tatis that caused them to not want him. But then you take a Delvin Perez Mm -hmm. in the first round and you're willing to give him a bunch of money. And you don't look at a player that many times if you're not super intrigued by them. So I wonder exactly what you said, what it was throughout that process that made them not want to seal the deal. Because if you if you view him 17, 18 times, you clearly like what you see. You're going back again and again and again. Clearly there was conversation about bringing him here. So why didn't they end up doing it? I believe it's this. And I wrote a piece about this in 2019, I believe, at 101ESPN.com. And I've written it a couple of other times. Somewhere along the line, somebody that left was a better evaluator than what the Cardinals have now. Whether it was Dan Kantrovitz or whether it was, I don't think necessarily it was a guy like Chris Correa, but maybe it was one of Luno's people. Mm -hmm. But somewhere along the line, the Cardinals lost an evaluator that they had that was better than what they have now. And I think that's the biggest issue with the Cardinals at all levels. It's evaluating their minor leaguers. It's evaluating people that they sign as free agents. It's evaluating people that they keep and it's evaluating people that they bring in. Except for international signings. You know, the Miles Michaelis, the KKs, they do yeah. pretty well there. I will say... Oh, Rosarena? Oh, yeah. I, w- I will say this, though, too. 
we've mentioned this many times, but it bears repeating. I don't know that had they hung on to Randy Rosarena and let's say Harrison Bader went to Tampa Bay in, instead of Randy. I don't know that he would have had that success here because a lot of these guys are leaving the organization and they're having better careers than they had in St. Louis. Marcelo Zuna is a great example. So while there certainly seems to be a disconnect somewhere along the line with evaluation, I also wonder if there's a disconnect somewhere along the line with process or development. I would say yes. And I would say that that problem will, if if you're like me, and you think that actually having people with young players that have played the game, have, have been in the game at the highest level, if you think those people are important to the development of young players more than them having access to Rapsodo or knowing what their launch angle should be, then I think things will get worse for the Cardinals before they get better. And I know every individual player or every player has an individual story and set of circumstances. Ozuna certainly had some injuries while he was here. That could be something that's at play with his success in Atlanta. Tommy Pham, we had questions about his vision. He dealt with injuries here. So I know it's not that simple. It's not, as we talked about with Dan McLaughlin yesterday, it's not black and white always. A lot of this is in the gray area. But when it happens again and again, there is a pattern there. And if you're the Cardinals, it's your duty to go internally and say, hey, we need to figure out where the disconnect is and so this thing up and sometimes it is black and white sometimes that's michelle i'm randy sometimes it is <laughs> Coming not up, every time not every not time. every time it's nfl news and notes on 101 espn we're right back to the character and smallman podcast on 101 espn michelle NFL News and Notes and Adam Schefter reporting that the Seahawks are positioned to make a push to sign Antonio Brown, who hasn't played in a year and a half, obviously has had his issues. He's calmed down on social media over the last few months, did undergo some counseling, apparently, and would fit right in with the Seahawks, who tend to take players that have had some troubles. He's back, Randy. He is back. Um, I'm not surprised that they would want to take a chance on Antonio Brown. You're going to get him at uh, a team-friendly price. And if he's any sort of the Antonio Brown that you need him to be, what a weapon that you could add to your team. No doubt. Now, do I want to bring him in and add him to Lockett and Metcalf in Seattle? Do I want to upend my uh, my wide receiver room? I'm not sure about that, but they have had players that if they don't seem to work out, they just move on from them. The Ravens also are a team that's been connected to him. He worked out, Antonio Brown did, with his cousin Hollywood Brown and Lamar Jackson during the offseason. By the way, he also did work out with Russell Wilson. But I think if I were in the shoes of one of those general managers, I would roll the dice. And he's eligible to come back after his suspension ends after week eight. Which team do you think he would be a better fit with? I would love to see him in Baltimore. Yeah, going against, the, especially the Steelers, yep, but going against exactly the AFC North. I I think because of what Lamar Jackson is and the game that they play and what they don't have, I think he would be a better fit with Baltimore. I, I think he's more of a need with the Ravens than he is with the Seahawks. Do you think he would live with Lamar Jackson the way he lived with Tom Brady? Or do you think he would move in with Russell and Sierra? 
I, and their kids? I think he, there's a very strong likelihood that he would move in with Russell and Sierra. I would guess that he and his cousin Hollywood are together if he's with the Ravens, though. I don't know. If you're Russ and Sierra, though, you have kids in the house. He's kind of unpredictable. Kind, well, you know, I don't Brady, kind of. Brady had kids in the house. That's oh, yeah, that's right. wasn't an issue. But I imagine, though, well, Russell probably has this, too, but I imagine he stayed in the West Wing of Brady's house, you know, a yeah, separate right. guest house. I don't think he was sitting down to family dinner. Well, that'll be the same thing with Russ. And yeah, Sierra. totally. totally. Uh, except for dinner time when he lets Russ cook. <laughs> Dad joke? Uh, yeah. And, Randy, are the portions at Russ's house unlimited? <laughs> Uh, well done, Michelle. That's that great. still haunts me. Mr. Unlimited. And Sierra in the background hyping him up. What are you doing? Do not let him hit no. send on that. No. It's your Don't job. Don't hit send. Don't hit send. It's your, your wifely duty to never <laughs> let him post Mr. Unlimited on the yeah. internet. Not great. Never. And she was not a great hype girl either. No. no. I was uh, so heartbroken for Ryan Fitzpatrick yesterday when he had a Zoom meeting with Dolphins uh, media the day after being benched. And he said that it was the most heartbreaking day of his life. He said his heart hurt all day long. He's playing as well as he ever has. And he knew what was going to happen. He knew that Tua Tango Vailoa was going to wind up as the starter for Miami. But when he was told by Brian Flores on Monday morning that he was getting benched, it ruined his day. It did. And listening to him talk, seeing the quotes, it really does break your heart for him because how many players are this transparent about their emotions and about Mm -hmm. what they feel? And to your point, he was playing some of the best football of his career. He led the Dolphins to -to back-to-back blowout wins. He's the leader of this team, the unquestioned. unquestioned Everybody loves him. He had a 79.6 QBR. It ranks seventh in the NFL. So if you're him, you know that eventually you're going to pass the the ball past the reins to Tua. But mm-hmm. in that moment when you're excelling and you're really feeling it and you've hit your stride, you don't expect it to happen. So I think that that's why, why it hurt that much more for him. And I really do feel for him, even though this was inevitable. But Fitzmagic is the man. He's somebody that everybody likes to cheer for. But he comes out and he says, I am heartbroken. This kills me. But it is my job to help Tua along. Yeah. And he, I, one of his quotes really stuck with me when he's like, how many jobs do you get fired by somebody and then you have to listen to the person that fired you all day and you have to sit in a room and help along your replacement after you've been fired? It is kind of weird. Very weird. Very v- weird work environment. But he's very mature and he's hand, he, you know handling it as best as he can. But I really did feel badly for him. And I know there's been a lot of talk um on sports radio, Randy, around the country about other teams that could maybe try to make a move for him if it's possible. I don't know if it is, but... I like him, but I don't think he's that good. It's, he's he's had a nice career, but he's not better than Andy Dalton. I know they're talking in Dallas, but yeah. he's not better than Andy Dalton. He's, he, he's good, but he's a great guy. And I know that Andy Dalton is certainly not the problem in Dallas, but I do wonder if they're not looking for something to shake it up because things are going so poorly there. Maybe some people to play defense. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Can Le'Veon Bell, after a year of not playing and then a year and a half of being woefully mediocre, reinvent himself with the Chiefs? I believe he can. He's still young. He's only 28 years old. Obviously, he prevented himself from putting miles on his body when he sat out in 2018. And I would think that he'll be a great fit. Not just a good fit, but a great fit with the Chiefs coming out of the backfield, catching some passes. And 
I'm excited to see what he can do if they can get their offensive line back in just terms of getting to the hole and then getting through the hole. He, Marshall always talked, Marshall Falk would always say, there's a lot of people that are quick to the hole, but then they don't know what to do once they get there. He said the key is getting through the hole. I've never seen anybody who gets to the hole and they can literally stop and then start up again and be full speed like Le'Veon Bell does. It's amazing. And after his exits from Pittsburgh and New York, you would think that he's hungry to prove himself, mm-hmm. and especially on a team like this where he knows he's going to a contender. I would think that if he does have a lot left in the tank, that he would be ready to start the engine. This is this is right. where you go and you prove yourself. Yeah, and Hilaire is Hilaire. The air the, the H is silent, but Hilaire is really their only running back. Damian Williams has opted out, and they don't have much depth at the position, so it's really important to add some depth there because if they lose Hilaire, they, they would be in a world of hurt before they signed Le'Veon Bell. What's going on with Odell Beckham Jr.? He's in the news about saying, I just don't think COVID will enter this body. Um, that's not even the quote that we need. I believe he said it's mutual respect. With he and COVID? Yes. He says, um, not in an arrogant way. He says that he doesn't think he's going to get it. Quote, not in an arrogant way. I don't think COVID can get to me. I don't think it's going to enter this body. I don't want no parts of it. It don't want no parts of me. It's a mutual respect. That's the quote we need. It's okay. mutual respect. So maybe, Randy, if we show enough respect to COVID, it will respect us back. I know some people that have shown pretty great respect for COVID and uh, it didn't respect them at all. Yeah. I don't think it cares one lick about your respect. I don't think so either. <laughs> so, but I hope he's right for his sake. Yeah. I don't want anybody to get it, but I just, that's an interesting way to phrase yeah. it. Those are NFL news and notes on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We have Thursday night football coming your way. The Eagles and the Giants pregame tonight at 7. That ought to be a thriller for, is it for first place in the NFC East? I think after tonight, you will have a first place team in the NFC East that will be either the Giants or the Eagles. The Eagles come in at 1-4-1. and one. The Giants come in at 2-5. and five. So the Giants would have a better winning per- percentage at 2-5 and five than uh, the 2-4 and four Cowboys. I don't know, do math very well. <laughs> but uh, somebody, at least they'd be tied for the most wins in the division. Okay, there you with go. Dallas. Okay. If whoever wins that game will be tied for the most wins in the division. In with a, two. In a division that is 5-18 and one through week six. Yeah, they're kind of scuffling. Yeah, kind of bad. It's all right. Coming up next, we've got The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Welcome back to Carricker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 835. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's bring in Randy's opponent on this Thursday. Jeff is with us. How you doing today, Jeff? All right. How about yourself? We're doing pretty good. It's going to be sunny. It's going to be warm today. Can't complain. Yeah. 
All right, Jeff, let's get going on the fight here. Back in 2017, when Tua started the second half of the college football national championship, what team was Alabama playing? Georgia, Clemson, or Ohio State? Uh, Georgia. Question number two for you, Jeff. Blake Snell has won the Cy Young Award one time in his five-year career. What year did he do it in? 2016, 2017, or 2018? Uh, Let's go with 2017. Question number three, Jeff. How many different teams has Antonio Brown played in a game with? Not how many rosters has he been on. How many teams has he actually played in a game for? Is it two, three, or four? I'll go with uh, two. And your final question, Jeff. Which team beat the Rays in the World Series back in 2008? Was it the Phillies, the Rockies, or the Giants? Uh, Let's go with the Phillies. Oh, okay. Checking score here. Randy is on his way in. That Antonio Brown one's tricky. That's why I was trying to put the note there, so hopefully it would... uh... Not have any hashtag justice for Jeff. <laughs> justice for Jeff. So don't mess anything yeah. up. Randy, please say good morning to Jeff, your opponent today. Jeff, how are you? Good to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. All right. How about yourself? Everything's good. Thank you. Okay, Randy. Question number one. Mm-hmm. Back in 2017, when Tua started the second half of the college football national championship, who was Alabama playing? I would believe that would have been Clemson. I'll go with uh, the Clemson Tigers. Question number two for you, Randy. Blake Snell has won the Cy Young Award one time in his five-year career. What year did he do it in? I think it was 2018, year before last. Randy, how many different teams has Antonio Brown played in a game with? Not not how many mm-hmm. rosters has he been on. How many teams has he played in a game for? So he's played for the Steelers, and he has played for the Patriots. So it would be only those two. He never played in a game for the Raiders. And your final question, Randy, which team beat the Rays in the World Series back in 2008? The Philadelphia Phillies did. Okay. We have a tie, you guys. A tie on a Thursday. So Jeff and Randy both got three questions correct. So here's how this is going to work, Jeff. We have a tiebreaker question. I'm going to read read you the question. As I read the, the question, as before you give your answer, Randy is going to write his answer down on a piece of paper. You so he is going to write it down. You're gonna get to give your answer first, and closest to the pin wins, okay? Okay. Okay, Jeff, here is your tiebreaker question. How many home runs did Albert Pujols hit as a St. Louis Cardinal? Randy is writing his answer down. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will okay. go with this many. Okay. Scotty. Oh, man. Thanks, Randy. Okay, Jeff. Um, what is your answer here? Wow. Um, so, let's go with... Uh, 250. Okay. Jeff went with 250. Randy, your answer is? 445. We've got a winner. (laughs) We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires is an expert auto service. Dobbs. Okay. 
Randy took this one. It was a nail-biter, but let's give the answers here. So when Tua started the second half of the college football national championship game in 2017, Alabama was playing Georgia. Georgia. Uh, Blake Snell won the Cy Young one time in his career. That was 2018. He went 21-5 and with a 1.89 ERA. Antonio Brown has played in a game with two different teams, Pittsburgh, nine, nine seasons, and the Patriots, for one game, 2019. The team that beat the Rays in the World Series in 2008 was the Phillies. They won four games to one. And Albert Pujols hit 445 home runs as a St. Louis Cardinal. Jeff, great showing. Sorry you didn't win, but have a great day. All right, you too. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Have a great day. That is Jeff with us on 101 ESPN. Good fight. Good fight. You knew that one right away. I could see it in your eye. As soon as I said the tiebreaker question, you went, ha, got this. Yeah, I I did. I pay attention to those sorts. Ah, It's my job. 445. Yeah. And if he would have stuck around another year, then he would have passed Stan all time. That's one of the good things about Albert leaving, isn't it? I I was just thinking that. We don't have that debate as to who the greatest Cardinal ever was. It's it is. It's a it's a good thing. It's nice to know that Stan will live on in that immortal way. He always will. But it's it's. I like that he is the one that has those records. I don't know that Barry Sanders ever admitted this, but there was a rumor when he retired that one of the reasons he did is that he didn't want to surpass Walter Payton's all time record, mm-hmm. and he would have if he would have stuck around for the ninety nine season. But then Emmett Smith beat it anyway. And- <laughs> but but think about that. That you care that much about this player and his legacy mm-hmm. and his legacy and importance in the game that you're going to put your own glory and your own place in history aside to right. preserve that? Who does that? Well, Walter was always going to have that one Super Bowl, and Barry was never going to get that in Detroit. No, never. <laughs> Coming up, we're going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend Adnan Verk of MLB Network and MLB Radio is with us on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Character. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and friend of the station, friend of the show, Adnan Verk from MLB Network and MLB Radio is with us. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm great to reconnect with you, too. And Ann, we need to talk about the World Series. It's been really fun so far. The Rays were able to even up the series last night. But when you look at this matchup, do you still think that the Dodgers will be the ones that ended up on, on top? I do, Michelle. But last night really was a must win for the Rays. But it completely turns the series on its head. You know, if they lose that game, all of a sudden you're staring down Walker Buehler in game three and you feel terrible about your chances and that you're the Rays. You know, teams that win the first two games of a best of seven have it 55 times. 44 times they go on to win that series. That's like an 82% clip. And, in fact, it's happened nine straight times, 11 of the last 12. So if the Dodgers had won, it would have been ball game. Now when the Rays winning, it's okay, that was the recipe for winning. They don't have guys who are going to be productive as far as station-to-station baseball, contact hitters, drawing walks. They hit home runs. That's what they're going to do. And Brandon Lau finally breaks out of his fucking. The guy was hitting 107 going into last night's game. This was a borderline all-star MVP candidate for the Rays in, in August. So it was good to see him finally break out. And obviously, excellent pitching. Not only Snell, who, again, can't get through five innings. He doesn't, doesn't uh, do well in terms of his pitch count, keeping it low and going along in the game. Spot the bullpen's excellent. You knew that Fairbanks, Castillo, Anderson, all those guys were well-rested. All of them could go multiple innings. So, the reason why I think it's so fascinating now, Michelle, is by the Rays winning game two, 
you could very easily make a case they're in the driver's seat. Because forget about their facing Walker Buehler. They've got Charlie Morton going, and there's no better postseason pitcher right now than Morton. And all of a sudden, if they can go up 2-1, and then in game four, the Dodgers probably tossing at Julio Rios. I mean, then, then things change a little bit. So I think for the Rays, obviously last night was a must-win. And now they feel pretty good about the fact that Morton's going in game three, who's their best postseason pitcher, and they're really going to be now a test, I think, for the Dodgers, who still are the favorite, naturally. Adnan, what's your impression of the way that Dave Roberts is utilizing his pitching staff? He's done a great job, Randy. You know, in the past, I think oftentimes people are quick to condemn, and I think that it happens in all walks of life. Once you have a label on somebody, that's it. You know, whether it's Alex Rodriguez, you know, famously a playoff choke until 09 had a great run. With Dave Roberts, people look at him and go, hey, he's a great guy. No one would dispute that. He's a wonderful human being. But as a manager, he micromanages, you know, with Clayton Kershaw, he leaves him in too long. With other pitchers, he's premature with the hook. Well, I think all people in walks of life get better over time. And I think Dave Roberts has improved as a manager before our very eyes. And I think the fact that Dodgers are in the World Series for the third time in the last four years, that speaks volumes, but his managing ability Yes, they've got a high payroll, but there's other teams with high payrolls, i.e. the Red Sox and the Yankees who aren't exactly winning World Series either. So you give credit to Roberts for the fact he knows how to pull the strings. And specific to what you mentioned, Randy, the pitching staff he's done a much better job of. And I think that was always the most glaring weakness. You know, he's not the type to mix and match a ton with his lineup, although when he pinch hit uh, Kike Hernandez for Jock Peterson in Game 7, hit a home run, that obviously played very well in his favor also. But I think the big example of it was in Game 7. In the past, he might have gone to Kenley Jansen, might have gone to Kershaw for an inning. Instead, he stuck with Julio Rios, a young pitcher, for his third inning of work and ended up being validated because the Braves didn't even put up a fight in that game seven. So, again, last night, you know, I think people are going to criticize and say, why would you go to the bullpen game, rather stick with one guy? But he's, he clearly has a plan, much like Kevin Cass. These guys are going to stick to their plan, and I think Dave's doing a much better job. Again, case in point, Kershaw, 78 pitches, six innings. That's more than enough. In the past, you keep pushing them out there. No, no, that's good enough. We've got other guys that can take care of business. And with Gonson, listen, he tried making him an opener, going to make, going to others. Didn't work out. But, again, he's got Walker Buehler going in game three. And he wasn't the Walker Buehler of old most of this regular season because of blister issues and just hadn't looked the same guy. His last year, he did look like the same guy, and that's good news for the Dodgers. And then I want to talk to you about the season from kind of a macro view. I still can't believe we made it to the World Series. Here in St. Louis around August, we're thinking, are we even going to have a season? Are we going to get, get this season off the ground at all? And when you look at what baseball was able to accomplish, you really have to tip their cap to them. But, you know, the 60-game season was really fun. It was fast. I loved the pace and the way that the season developed and then you have expanded playoffs which has been a blast so I just want to get your macro view of the season and if you think that some of these changes will stick I know that they talked about keeping expanded playoffs around but in your opinion what did you think about the season Michelle it was a miracle that it happened Uh, all of us are baseball lovers not only the three of us but everybody listening I'm sure in St. Louis so like we all felt that void deeply uh, there's only so much movies you can watch on Netflix. There's only so many old movies you can rewatch. I mean, after a while, you need live sports. You need baseball specifically. So I think it's incredible that they pulled it off. I mean, I actually had to look the other day just to remind myself, like, did every team actually get to 60 games with the exception of your Cardinals and the Tigers? I'm like, yep, Cards and Tigers played 58. Everybody else actually made it to 60, and I think that's incredible. I remember thinking after the Marlins outbreak and the Cards outbreak, okay, you know what, some teams are going to play 48 games. Some teams are going to play 52 games. In 1981, the strike-shortened season, not everyone played the exact amount of games. They'll go by winning percentage, and that'll be fine. They didn't have to do that. Like, all the teams actually finished it. And, yes, seven-inning doubleheaders were a reason why they were able to pull it off. Yes, expanding rosters, but I completely agree with you. Hats off to Major League Baseball, the Players Association. I mean, those players, those guys bought in. There's been no positive test now for, I believe, 48 straight days. 
obviously now in a bubble, it's a different story. But even prior to that September, there was on lockdown. And these guys really deserve to be lauded for that. In terms of the changes that you mentioned, uh, obviously the 70-inning doubleheaders is not going to happen. Rob Manfred, the commissioner, was speaking about uh, the expanded playoffs. I don't like 16 teams personally. I have no issue for it for 60 games because, honestly, that's not much of a sample size. So you might as well get more teams in the mix. But I don't like a sport where more than half the teams make the playoffs. As much as I like hockey and basketball, it's one of my issues always that 16 teams, more than half the teams make the playoffs. Um, in football, I think 12 of 32 is pretty good. And in baseball, I always like 10 of 30. Because to me, I'm like, all right, that's a third of the teams. Having said that, Commissioner Manfred clearly is in favor of it. Like the owners are in favor of it. I think the players are probably in favor of it. It's more money and more playoff revenue. So 14 teams, Michelle, I'd be okay with. Because then you get the one seed, get a buy in both leagues, and you go two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five. So I, I think they're trending in that direction. Uh, I love the universal DH. I don't want to see pitchers hitting. They hit 133. Every time a pitcher comes up, that's a bathroom break. Why the heck would I want to watch that? I mean, that, talk about people being nostalgic for no reason. Like, oh, I miss watching Chris Carpenter hit. No, I don't. I like seeing guys who actually make contact. Forgot to, the major league batting average this year was 245. That's the lowest since 1968. If pitchers were hitting, it'd be even lower. Like a guy who would be a 230 hitter, and it's not that bad. So I was a big fan of the universal DH. I'm praying that six. Uh, and the runner on second extra innings, i got to be honest, at first I wasn't a fan, but I came around to it. It did offer some urgency and some excitement, and only two games this year, the 60, you know, ended up going to 13 innings. And that was the whole point. We want quicker games, save the health of the players. So I've been in favor of all the changes, to be honest. And then you, you mentioned the 245 batting average, and that's in part a product of the three true outcomes, a walk, a strikeout, or a home run. And because of that, and because I grew up as a devotee of Whitey Ball here in St. Louis, I really enjoyed the Dodgers offense in Game 1, where they only hit a couple of home runs, but they were able to manufacture runs, steal bases, get their bat on the ball, and actually score some runs with singles. Yeah, I, I obviously have no ties to the great city of St. Louis, but I love the Cardinals documentary we had on MLB Network. I watched that, uh, you know, during the, the pandemic, and I thought it was amazing showing Whitey Ball and, you know, obviously the stories of William McGee and Vince Coleman, Tommy Hearn. When Jack Clark hit that big home run, that's a big fly, you know what? Like, it, it was awesome seeing those stories again. So I'm with you, Randy, reminiscing about that era of baseball, and Mookie Betts specifically was a guy who, like you said, it kind of draws from that lineage. The fact he was able to steal a couple of bases, draw a walk, I mean, I believe the stat is no one had done that since Babe Ruth in 1921 in a World Series game. Walk scored two stolen bases in one inning. So Mookie is awesome to watch. And I still wish he could hit a little more. I think we're kind of blown away by the base running of the defense. It's flashy. Games five and six and seven of the NLCS was amazing. But I believe he's hitting like 218 in the World Series, so like, or in the playoffs, excuse me. So we'd like to see him hitting a little more if I'm paying him $365 million. But there's no question he's great for the game. On a sad note, he's the only African-American player in the World Series, which always concerns me. Um, but he's a fun guy to watch, and I'm with you, that I like the fact that Dodgers can manufacture those runs. I mean, the Rays, as I said previously, they're not stealing bases. They're not uh, hit and run. Not, not many people do that anyways. Not many teams are, are double stealing. But just station-to-station baseball, they're not going to do that. Remember Springer, they, when they drew the infield in, he was able to beat the shift by going to right field. Like, it was just something good to see, something different to see. The Rays aren't going to do that. The Dodgers will, at least. And that's one of the reasons why, Randy, I think they're going to win. Just their offense has more depth and more versatility. And and I want to ask you about the National League Central Division. So a lot of questions for every team heading into 2021. But which team in the NL Central do you have the most confidence in? Michelle, because all of them, I thought going in would be a really tight race. And the Reds were a big disappointment. Even though they made the playoffs that late push, you just thought, wow, with that kind of pitching, you know, Castillo and Bauer and Gray, and Bauer might win the Cy Young and then go elsewhere because he wants just a one-year contract. He could get a one-year $40 million contract, as crazy as that is. And that their offense was underwhelming at times. It's really surprising. Eugenio Suarez didn't have a great year. 
I love Votto, but he's a year older, obviously. So the Reds, I thought, were a little bit disappointing. The Cubs, again, they started out hot, and then they tailed as well. And again, you wonder what's happening. It's, it's like all their offensive players are like Bs and B pluses. They've lost being A's. You know, Baez had an offseason. Bryant was hurt. Um, you know, Rizzo was a good contributor, but like Ian happened to carry the offense. Like it was shocking to see what happened to that Cubs nucleus. So the Cardinals, I, I always believe in because of their pitching, and I love Mike Schilt, so I just would like to see a little more oomph in that offense. I feel like they got to give Goldie a little more support. Ozuna's going to be a free agent again. Maybe he can re-sign. He's trying to bring Ozuna back after he flourished with the Braves. It's interesting. I was talking to Joel Sherman of the New York Post, and he was discussing how he's so lean right now for free agents because of the fact that, you know, the league lost 40% of revenues because of no gate. I mean, Rob Manfred was clear. The league lost $3 billion this season. So a guy like Ozuna, who is a top five, top seven candidate after, after the season he had, probably may only get a one-year deal, like two years tops. Like There's, there's like three guys that get paid. George Springer's going to get paid. I think he'll get four years, $20 million a year, maybe five years, $100 million. Bauer's going to get paid. Uh, Real Muto's paid. Obviously, obviously paid. Might be the best catcher in baseball. I don't think the Phillies going to re-sign him. But after that, it's kind of straight. It's about a one-year, two-year deal. So in answer to your question, I feel like it's still kind of tight. I still feel like it's Brewers, Cubs, Reds, Cardinals. It depends on what moves they make, and it's kind of a four-horse race. Ed Nanverk, great to hear your voice. We love your work as always. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Oh, by the way, we need to ask. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. Ahead, uh, Adnan, I was telling the guys here before you joined us that, of course, you have the Cinephile podcast. You are the movie expert. So as baseball is winding down here in St. Louis, we're going to need to queue up some movies or some shows. So tell us, what should we do? <laughs> I think I talked to you previously, Michelle, how much I like Succession. So if people yes. haven't seen that, definitely check that out on HBO. I just watched Aaron Sorkin's new film, The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is currently on Netflix. That has both the greatness and the weaknesses of Aaron Sorkin, which is to say it has excellent dialogue. It's got a terrific cast. Sasha Baron Cohen in a rare dramatic role playing Abby Hoffman. You've got, by the way, from Succession, Jeremy Strong. He's unrecognizable, playing one of the characters. Eddie Redmayne, Frank Langella, Mark Rylance, Michael Keaton's in a couple of scenes. It's got a great cast, and Sorkin's dialogue is always good. And if you think of courtroom thriller, you think of A Few Good Men, which is how he first made his name with the play, which was then adapted into a movie. But it also has the weaknesses of Aaron Sorkin, which means that it's self-indulgent, it's glib, it's self-righteous, and a little cheesy. So it's on Netflix. Once the World Series is over, check it out, like I said, for the writing and the acting. There's a couple of eye rolls along the way, but it's a lean time for movies. As you guys all know, it's tough to get movies even in theaters right now. A lot of new movies are being released until next season, so... We'll have to rely on streaming and the likes of Hulu and Netflix, and hopefully we'll get through it. All right. Adnan, take care. Thanks so much, and have a great day. All right. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Michelle. Be well. See you later. You too. Adnan Virk, MLB Network and MLB Network Radio with us on 101 ESPN. He's great. He is the best. Next up, today's big thing, including this day in Cardinal postseason history. Some big things happened. Some really big things happened on this date. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 904 in 3, 2, 1, woof. 904 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Character and Smallman. And tonight you have. Thursday night football, the Giants and Eagles. I was about to say World Series, Game 3, but that's not being played tonight. Game 3 is tomorrow night, a day off in Texas for everybody, including the broadcasters. Greg Amsinger out on the golf course with Dan Plesak today. And you can listen to that game tomorrow, Randy. World Series Game 3 right here on 101 ESPN. Pre-game is at 6.30. Of course, last night, the Rays even the series at a game apiece with a 6-4 victory. Brandon Lau hit a couple of home runs, and Michelle was interesting because last year... The Rays had two players 
whose last names were spelled L-O-W-E. <laughs> one of them was Brandon Lau, and the other one was pronounced Low. I know, Low. Yeah, oh. yeah. How do you know which is which? I don't know. I would love to find out, though. How? Because when I look at it, I think Low. So how do you how do you get what I would perceive to be low to be pronounced Lau. The Cardinals had a pitcher back in the day named Sean Lowe, L-O-W-E. We remember Derek Lowe from uh, the the Red Sox. Yeah, it's 99% of the time low. So I wonder how he got to Lau. Yeah, I don't know. Did you know that Joe Theismann, when he started at Notre Dame, his name was pronounced Joe Theismann? Yes. And because they had a Heisman Trophy campaign for him, they changed the pronunciation of his name to Joe Theismann. And his family, I guess, stuck with Theismann, but he went with Theismann. And he just kept it forever. Theismann for Heisman, and he didn't win. He did win. That's a bummer. You know, another one, Suter and Sutter. Right. Bruce, and we had the guys in the town at the same time. Brian Sutter for the Blues and Bruce Suter for the Cardinals. That's right. And you would think Sutter when you look at it. That's what I would think. Right. So how do you get Suter? Again, I don't know of any other... S-U-T-T-E-R that pronounces it Suter other than Bruce and his family. I know. Me either. Strange thing. Speaking of (laughs) Bruce Suter, it's time for this date in Cardinal Postseason History. 101 SPM presents this date in Cardinal Postseason History. Looking back at the journeys to 11 World Championships. Brought to you by Woods Basement Systems. The highest rated, most reviewed, all things basement experts. WoodsBasementSystems.com On 101 ESPN. Okay, Michelle, today's a fun one. October 22nd, Game 3 of the 2011 World Series in Arlington, Texas. The Cardinals and the Rangers and the Redbird bats thunder to life, including an historic performance by number 5. That is hammered into left. Oh, my God. That ball is absolutely murdered. Crushed by Pujols. And that makes it 11-6 here in the 6th. Cardinal fans know him. Here's one into left center field. Back at the track, he's got another. And more respect. Unbelievable. As he's hit a three-run shot, now a two-run shot. And the Cardinals lead it 14 to 6 in the seventh. And he hits me. And here goes one into left. How about three on the night in a row? A three-run shot, a two-run home run. And now a solo blast. And Albert Pujols has tied Reggie Jackson with three home runs against the Rangers in game three. McCarver in the booth with Joe. Mm -hmm. Aren't we all Tim McCarver in that moment? Oh, my God. Unbelievable. (laughs) Incredible. Yeah, he was phenomenal. Three home runs for Albert Pujols, and the Cardinals would win that game over the Rangers 16-7. to Michelle, the next year on October 22nd, we don't have a highlight for this one. The Cardinals lost Game 7 of the NLCS 9-0 at San Francisco. But uh, we, we avoided highlights yeah, or lowlights for let's that Let's not one. do that one. But maybe the biggest highlight that we're going to play all month on this date in 2006 okay. in the World Series. All right. And it was Game number 2 in Detroit. And Brad Thompson... <gasps> Made his only World Series appearance. Clubhouse. He's shaking hands with his glove on. Breaking ball from Thompson. Thompson is a strike to Brandon Inge. 
And Brandon Inge not only was the first hitter against BT in what would turn out to be T's only World Series appearance. Brandon Inge, as you know, uh, s- uh, struck out against Adam Wainwright to end the World Series in Game 5, but against Brad Thompson in Game 2, at least he was consistent. Tigers trying to even this World Series at a game apiece. Inge takes strike three over the inside corner, one away. BT, 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 BT with his only World Series appearance, two thirds of an inning scoreless, and he struck out Brandon Edge. Imagine what you're feeling in that moment. You're Brad Thompson. You get the call. You're going in World Series. If you see it on YouTube, he looks nervous. I'm sure he was. I think he might have been. You know, I know that athletes are able to compartmentalize mentally, but they're also human beings. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you run out there out the crowd and you realize the, the high pressure moment that you're in. And, oh, this is everything I've worked for my entire life to pitch in a World Series mm-hmm. game. And now it's arrived. Uh-oh. No pressure. Yeah. How do you make it? And we asked Pete Fairbanks if he was able to compartmentalize and get away from the fact that it was such a big moment and I guess you are at some point you just reach a point where I just got to get the hitter out it's a game it's baseball but I'm sure a lot of that time you're thinking that it's game seven of an LCS and that my team has a chance to go to the World Series or it's game one of the or game two of the World Series Hopefully BT talks about this on the fast lane today because I would love to hear him relive that experience of what he was feeling in that moment, how he felt afterwards. You know, I wonder if afterwards you can really even process, hey, I just pitched in the World Series or if you're just so caught up in the moment and thinking about what's up next in the next game. I wonder if he even remembers that this is the date. We'll have to find out. Well, I know he's listening right now. So now, he, if he didn't remember, he remembers now. Everybody listens. Everybody no listens. About it. That is this date in Cardinal postseason history with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. Stick around for that. It's on Character and Smallman next. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, you heard the intro, and that means it is time for... Killing me, Small! So, Randy, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how 2020 was terrible for almost everyone, except for Patrick Mahomes. You know, he wins the Super Bowl, MVP, he signs, I don't know, half-billion-dollar deal, yeah. he buys part of a Major League Baseball team, and then he gets engaged to the love of his life, and he announces that he's going to be a dad, that he and his fiance Brittany, are expecting well as most young couples these days do, Randy, the happy couple did a gender reveal. And it was revealed that Patrick Mahomes is going to be a girl dad. Oh, great. They're going to have a baby girl. That's fantastic. Good for him. Good for them. But my question to you is, what do you think about gender reveal parties? I thought gender reveal parties were fine early on. I think that they have jumped to the shark at this point. Too extravagant? Too much? Yeah, because people are trying to do creative things, and all the good stuff has already been. So I, uh, unless you come up with something that's spectacular and not dangerous, then I, I think that you're fine just saying, hey, we're having a girl, or hey, we're having a boy. A lot of my friends did it where they had a cake made, and they would just have their immediate family over, and they would cut into the cake, and it was either blue on the inside or pink. Uh-huh. Sim- simple, simple yeah. fun family there. But I kind of like the way that Patrick Mahomes and his fiance Brittany did it. They had um, their dogs walk on a blank canvas and the paint was on their paws. 
that, and it was pink oh, paint. Yeah, that's a good so idea. So that's the way they, they revealed it. But yeah, I agree with you. I think they've become too big. And it's all for the gram, you know? It's all, totally it's it all, is, It's yeah. all for you to show off to other people. But yeah, let's yeah. do things in a safe way. But some of the, the gender reveal fails on Instagram or on YouTube are pretty funny. They like are. the dad that can't hit the baseball. Right. And you can't find out who it is. Or you yeah. miss and then it breaks at your feet. Yeah. That's kind of a bummer. <laughs> You're killing me, small. Okay, Randy. Well, maybe... Patrick Mahomes and his fiance will want to name their daughter Gianna because since the tragic passing of Kobe and Gianna, names, those two names, as far as baby names, have gone through the roof. A ton of people naming their kids either Kobe or Gianna. Kobe, a pretty iconic name tied to one person. It used to be number 216 on the list of most popular baby names up to, or excuse me, it was 595 all the way up to 216. Wow. A lot of people naming their kids Kobe and Gianna. Wow. On the heels of his passing rather than his playing. I wonder if while he was playing, it was more popular because there are Kobe's around that you hear about or you you run into. And Gianna, that's a nice name. I'll bet you a lot of people just never even really considered that until they heard that and thought, oh, that's a nice name. And then, obviously, to honor the Bryant family, named their daughter Gianna. My family in New Jersey has a a member of our family named Gianna. Same spelling. That was... Pre. Pre. Pre, yep. She's older. Um, But Gianna rose from number 76 to get this, number 24. Wow. I get it. I totally get it. How did you decide how to name your kids? Would you have ever named your, or did you name either of your kids after a famous person that you'd probably never met? So Patrick Carricker was born in 1994, in July, July 19th of 1994. Uh, we had a bet. The, the Rockets were playing the Knicks in the NBA Finals. And the deal was that if the Knicks won, that he was going to be named Patrick. And if the Rockets won, he was going to be named Akeem. <laughs> Somebody welched on a bet, and it was not me. Really? Yep. Yep. So we could have had Akeem character. Yep. Could have. But Patrick Ewing wins out. So he was named after someone famous. Kind of, yeah. But that name was just chosen. It was going to be Patrick or Christopher. You know, it's... Irish, Irish stuff. And then, yeah, Catherine was easy. She was, you know, and if it was a boy, it was going to be Christopher. And if it was a girl, it was going to be Catherine. Do you know what your name would have been if you were a girl? Because my parents told me what my name was going to be if I was a boy. I don't know. I do know that they had a, there was a hefty and intense discussion about whether or not to name me Randy or Jeff. (laughs) Honestly, though, I could see you as a Jeff. Really? Yeah. I mean, you're definitely a Randy, but... Randy and Jeff kind of give off the same vibes, you know? Fun guy you'd want to uh, golf with, super nice, pillar of the community. Okay, oh, that's thanks. Jeff. Just a great guy. <laughs> Jeff Jeff was a great athlete in high school. Randy, same thing. So what was your boy name going to be? Michael. Okay. But Michelle, Michelle or was, Michael? Well, no, Michelle was not even really on the table. They didn't decide that until I was born. They thought I was going to be a boy. Uh, they didn't know. It was a surprise, but they thought I was going to be Michael. And my mom is from New Jersey, Randy, and she wanted to name me Gina. 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 I get it. G-I-N-A. Gina. Uh-huh. And my dad was like, no. This kid, when I was born, he was like, this kid is not a Gina. This is not a Gina. <laughs> and then they said, he was like, why don't we name her Michelle? Because my mom's sister's name Michelle. And my mom was like, yeah, I like it. Okay. So then my grandma comes to the hospital. She meets me for the first time. And my dad says, this is your granddaughter, Michelle. And she starts crying. And she says to my dad, 
when you were going to be born, I thought you were a girl and I was going to name you Michelle. And I wow. never told you that. And she's like, and I finally got my Michelle. And so I was her favorite always after That's that. That's awesome. And you, whether it was Michelle or Gina, you would have been her favorite. Of course. But I, I'm not a Gina <laughs> though, right? No, you are. Dodged a bullet there. I don't think I could have been a Gina. <laughs> I don't have enough attitude to be a Gina. I'm not cool <laughs> enough to be a Gina. You're killing me, Small. Okay, Randy, game one of the World Series. Not a lot of people watching it. We have no. this great matchup. We almost didn't have baseball this year. The World Series ratings, 9.195 million total viewers. It's the least watched World Series opener ever and the least watched World Series game ever. I would say that that should be alarming for baseball. And I know that the excuse is that there's been such a saturation of sports with the Stanley Cup final and the NBA finals and the NFL. And now we've got the return of college football. But I think it's more a reflection of where baseball is nationally and that St. Louis is a liar in regards to the, the popularity of the sport. And I think we also need to take into account that Baseball used to be America's pastime. And now the NFL football fall is America's pastime. And baseball is closer to hockey and being a regional sport. During the summer, baseball teams invariably are number one locally. But if you are generally a fan of the Chicago Cubs or the Miami Marlins or the New York Mets or the Kansas City Royals, when your team's season ends, the baseball season ends for you and you don't tune in in large numbers to the World Series as opposed to the NFL with the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's so strange because we are so entrenched in baseball. And I remember when I went and worked in Bristol in Connecticut, it was shocking to me the way that baseball was considered there and how they're like, no, no. I would pitch all these baseball ideas Mm -hmm. for the show and they'd be like, no one cares. No one wants to talk about baseball. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And especially that, I'm like, we're right here in Red Sox, Yankees country. I think that they would care more, but you're right. We are the outlier. Even in a lot of baseball heavy markets, St. Louis really is kind of an outlier. I'll be interested to see where St. Louis ranks in terms of the, the cities for the World Series. And if you're a baseball too, you know, you at least for me, I've mentioned it several times on the show. I thought this season was so fun. I really liked the shortened season. I loved the baseball playoff format. I thought the matchups were great. You had young superstars yeah. kind of elevating themselves. All of these different things that were working in baseball's favor to capture more of a national audience. And then to think you have these two teams against each other and the ratings are still that low. Yeah, if you're baseball, that's concerning. But that's why baseball wanted the Yankees to win because if the Yankees are in, they don't have the lowest rated World Series of all time. We're at World Series game. Yankees-Dodgers with the, the yeah. Yankees national fan base and the, the concentration of Dodgers fans, you would have had more than the lowest number ever. Do you think the Yankees nationally would pull more than the Dodgers nationally? Yes. Just and do you think that's because the Dodgers have been there for a while and it's not as exciting as the return of the Yankees? Or do you think it's just the Yankees are more of an iconic franchise? I think that's part of it, the 27 World Championships. The other thing is, is that the Yankees are simply more accessible to more people. In addition to being good, and a lot of people growing up in baseball families with the Yankees being their family's favorite team, if you are in the Eastern or Central time zone, it's very easy to see the Yankees, but it's not as easy to see the Dodgers. If if you're in the mountain time zone or the West Coast, the Pacific time zone, you can see, you, you can stay up late enough to see the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. But people in 
all four time zones have no trouble seeing the Yankees. That's a good point. It really is. You're killing me, Small. Okay, Randy, you remember when LSU beat Clemson in the national title game in New Orleans. One of the famous scenes from that celebration is former LSU wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. handing out cash. He was handing out $2,000 worth of $100 bills in that moment. There was a lot of talk about that. Well, LSU is self-imposing penalties for the rules violations that Odell Beckham Jr. caused, and they're kind of hoping that the NCAA doesn't levy anymore, but here's what they're docking themselves, Randy. Eight football scholarships over a two-year period and reducing recruiting visits, evaluations, and communications. And they're banning Odell Beckham Jr. from their facilities for two years. And those are self-imposed. Self-imposed. So I'm sure that the NCAA will prevent them from playing in a bowl game too. Yeah, I'm sure. I I don't think that because of the thing that Lum did, and I know that the rules are in place because he's considered a booster, but they didn't have any control over that situation. I'm glad that they saw fit to punish themselves for it, and I hope the NCAA doesn't do anything else because I think they've done enough to themselves. Yeah. But uh, knowing the NCAA idiots, I would think that they probably will do something more. Uh, this also, LSU also had that two-year investigation where they uncovered booster payments to the father of a football player. So I think it's just kind of these things combined together. They're saying, hey, but mm-hmm. you know, if a lot of Mizzou football fans are saying, hey, self-reporting does or self-imposing things or self-reporting or cooperating doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work out in your favor. No, it's ridiculous. The NCAA is just stupid. <laughs> They're done. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. And that is You're Killing Me Smalls on ESPN. Next up, can the Cardinals still make the playoffs next year if they don't improve the offense this year? It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals finished with the fifth best record in the National League this year, even if they would not have been expanded playoffs. If they would have only taken five teams, the Cardinals would have been one of the wild card teams. But Mark Saxon, our friend and Cardinal insider from The Athletic, wrote an article about the Cardinals offseason spending this offseason. And he says that uh, there's no way they have a chance to add a contract like Nolan Arenado. The question is... Can the Cardinals still be a team in the top five if they don't add that bat? Because you have to think that somewhere around them at that record that other teams are going to get better. So the question is, are the Cardinals able to improve enough from within? Is Dylan Carlson Mm -hmm. over a whole season enough to allow them to remain a playoff team? Yeah, I don't know. You can expect vastly different results if you're putting out the same group of guys. And yes, I'm sure that there's room for improvements internally. Uh, You had a bunch of guys who dealt with COVID. How did that affect them? You have guys like Dylan Carlson who, you know, barely got their feet wet and have a chance to grow. But I also think if you're looking at this from a financial perspective, Cardinals fans need to brace themselves that, hey, the money is not going to be there. So all of these things that fans might want them to do, go out and add this guy, maybe make this move. You have to take a realistic approach to this. And here's a team who doesn't really make, even though they do spend money, they 
they're not going to go sign a massive contract. This is just they do those things very cautiously. They're very intentional about the big financial commitments that they make. And this season, when they have taken a financial hit in the manner in which they did, I don't expect them to go out there and make any sort of big moves. I'm going to go sunshine lollipops for you. Okay. And then I will go reality for you. Sunshine Lollipops. You'll have Dylan Carlson for a whole season. He is going to hit 280 with a 900 OPS. He's going to hit the ball out of the ballpark 20 times, drive in 80 as your number two hitter, and be a true impact hitter. And in addition to that, you mentioned COVID-19. One of the players most affected by COVID-19 was Paul DeYoung. Right. Paul DeYoung gets back to being a 30-home run guy as your number four hitter. Hits 285 with an 880 OPS. And those two are around a, a good hitter that we know is going to be good in Paul Goldschmidt. And there we go. Sunshine Lollipop. Yes, all right. And in addition to that, Tyler O'Neill, while still being only a 215, 220 hitter, is a guy that hits the ball out of the ballpark 25 times. If you do that, if your top five hitters are capable of that, and I'm including Colton Wong as your leadoff hitter, Mm -hmm. then you have a chance to score a lot of runs. You're still going to have issues at the bottom of the order. You probably have Fowler hitting sixth, which... If you have Fowler hitting sixth, you know at least what you're going to get out of him. And then you have Yachty hitting seventh, and you've got to find maybe Tyler is your designated hitter. He probably is. So then you have Bader down there at the bottom of your lineup too. So you've got to figure things out from that perspective. But my point is, is if you get the best out of those guys that we can reasonably expect, you have a chance to be pretty good. The the problem is, is from my perspective, Paul DeYoung has had one pretty good year and actually two pretty good months. Yachty has continued to descend. We don't know what Dylan Carlson is going to be. We've got a lot of people wondering, well, what, what's Randy Rosarena going to be next year? We, If we're going to wonder that, and we should, then we should wonder what the holes Dylan Carlson might have in his game. And then you have a 33-year-old Goldschmidt. So you have to believe that he's going to be on the back end rather than the front end at some point. And it is reasonable to expect that the offense is going to descend. And I know that you don't want to put this evil on anybody, but the fact of the matter is Jack Flaherty hasn't had an arm injury yet. And pretty much everybody does wind up with an arm injury at some point. So in addition to the offense, the pitching could take a step back too. I think the Cardinals are going to roll the dice either way. They aren't going to get a player. You mentioned the money that they didn't make this year. Within their financial constraints, they aren't going to get a player for the offense where we say, okay, that's the difference maker that they need. I don't. Yeah, I don't foresee it. But I think the Cardinals' identity has been strong defense, strong mm-hmm. fundamentals, pitching depth. And I think they're looking at, okay, we've got the defense in place Pitching, you're going to get Brebbia back, Hicks back, Michaelis back. I think they're looking at enhancing maybe a Libertor comes up. I think they're looking at what is Alex Reyes going to give you next year. I think they're looking at the pitching depth and saying that's certainly an area of our team which we can hopefully take a step up. And I think they're looking at the offense thinking, okay, at some point we're hoping that Paul DeYoung will give us what we have projected. We're hoping that Dylan Carlson is going to give us what we projected. And I think they're looking at what they did this season and certain 
components of the team that didn't live up to expectations and they still got into the postseason. And so I, I yeah. think as much as fans don't want to hear it, if you're the Cardinals and you're looking at the pieces of the puzzle and you're looking at the financials next to it, saying, how can we make this work? You're still a team that will contend for the division and can potentially make the playoffs. And then it's, hey, once we get in the playoff, anything can happen. A team just has to get hot. But then the fans are thinking, okay, well, you did that the past two seasons and strong pitching and strong defense can only carry you so far. And so I, I see both sides of the argument, and I just think fans need to brace themselves for the reality that what we saw this season is most likely what they're going to see next season. Agreed 100%. And I think one other point we need to make here is that let, let's make a comp here. Back in 2000, the greatest show on turf took off. They scored a ton of points, five more than 500 points. But the Rams, St. Louis Rams, allowed a team record 471 points. And everybody knew that all the defense needed to do was be average. If they could get that defense to average, they could get back to the Super Bowl. The Cardinal offense needs to get to average. And when you look at what the Cardinals were relative to league average this year, it's hard to imagine that they're going to be able to to reach that point. The league average for doubles was 93. The Cardinals hit 73. League average for home runs in the 60-game season, 58 for the Cardinals, was 77. The Cardinals hit 51. League average OPS was 746. The Cardinals were a 694 OPS. Unless Dylan Carlson is a major difference maker, it's hard for me to believe that they have the talent on their team to get to even average. That's an issue. So no pressure, Dylan. No, no no <laughs> pressure at all. And, okay, I don't expect Goldie to do any more. I hope that DeYoung can do more, but I'm, I'm not sold on that. Yadi Molina has regressed offensively in terms of OPS for each of the last five seasons now. And at the age of 38, 39, is he going to get better? Hard to imagine that that's going to happen. We mentioned Fowler is what he is. He's certainly not going to be an OPS difference maker that drives up your average OPS. Harrison Bader doesn't look like he's going to get on base or slug anymore. So it does come down to Dylan Carlson and whoever plays third and is your DH. And I have to assume that one of those, third or DH, is going to be Matt Carpenter. And I don't expect him to get appreciably better either. So what I'm saying is... I laid out the sunshine lollipops idea for you. Yeah. My thought is that they're going to be what they were. They they are what we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. <laughs> and you just hope that they sprinkle in some devil magic along the way. Yeah, that's what they need. And maybe somebody will pop up. Maybe Andrew Kisner will get in the lineup and, and start hitting. They like his bat. But uh, I just don't see it. I'm hoping for better, but right now I'm not seeing it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Danny Mack is coming up with Scoops with Danny Mack at the top of the hour. We're going to cross things over with the voice of the Cardinals on FS Midwest next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Getting ready for Scoops with Danny Mack here on 101 ESPN. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Everything's terrific here. We had a, a, a fun show, and I'll tell you what, uh, this World Series has a chance to be compelling. Oh, for sure. I think it's going to be really good. Um, obviously, Tampa Bay had to win last night. They did. 
And now uh, with the off days mixed in, you kind of <clears throat> reset your, your pitching staff, which was the interesting thing about expanded playoffs that I think got overlooked. I think from a fan's perspective, you loved it because you had baseball every day, which I appreciated. But from the competitive standpoint, you had to be deep in your in your pitching because mm-hmm. there were no off days. And now you can reset. And you saw what happened with the Dodgers last night. Um, they They did not have a Blake Snell. And... The uh, the Tampa Bay Rays did. They went with him. He was really good. And give Kevin uh, Cash some some credit to to pull him when he did. He stuck with the sabermetric analytic book and pulled him after nine strikeouts and went to his bullpen. And the bullpen was awesome for Tampa Bay. By the way, can you imagine how different this season would be and how different this series would be if the Dodgers had David Price? Oh, I, I've thought about that after seeing David Price. I guess he was on a podcast. And I was like, man, I forgot that David Price was a member of the uh, the Dodgers, and you could add him into your bullpen, your rotation, to get a key lefty or uh, the three bat a minimum, whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just a piece of what already is a juggernaut in the uh, the LA Dodgers. I, I agree with you guys. It's been a fun series, and I think it's going to be back and forth. Now it kind of changes the narrative of of like the Dodgers are going to roll, and they still might. But mm-hmm. maybe does. And they finally, the race finally got somebody other than a Rosarena to hit. And and so that's what they needed. They they had to have somebody else hit, and they did last night. It was so cool, too, to see a St. Louis and Pete Fairbanks out there last yeah. night. He yeah. had some to see yeah. him it's blown been great. guys away. Yeah, he's such a key part of that bullpen. And uh, Charlie Morton will go, I think, in game number three. Mm-hmm. He's 3-0 and in the postseason. So they, they've got it lined up on uh, on Friday night. You get the off day today. and. We'll see how it rolls out. And I'm like you, I'm so used to the everyday occurrence of the games. Initially, I'm thinking, Dave Roberts, what are you doing? But then you think (laughs) with his bullpen, getting the starter out of there and going through his bullpen. But it works out perfectly with the day off because everybody will be fresh tomorrow. Should be, I would think. Um, It's really what this has shown me again, and I guess we should just get used to it in its minder in October for anybody that watches baseball like we all do religiously is – Man, you better have a, a ton of arms, mm-hmm. and your starters are, are key, which is an obvious statement. But man, you you've got to have just a plethora of arms coming at you, and guys that are all throwing. Like Tampa Bay comes down. What to, what this series comes down to me is that because the Dodgers are so deep and so loaded with their uh, with their lineup, if you don't have power arms coming out. And I mean, like Fairbanks, like you said, Michelle, and guy, and I mean, power arms to shut down the amount of. It's not just one through four; it's one through nine. Somebody that can do damage, and if you don't have that in your bullpen, you're just not going to win. And as I look at the Cardinals, I start thinking about 2021. The Cardinals do have arms. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got really good arms that, if they can stay healthy and and come into a, a postseason series, they, they've got a chance to to do damage. I mean, you, you got to have a little luck. you got to catch lightning in a bottle, all those things that we talk about. But they're going to have a chance to do some damage again next year. They, they, they've got to um, – Cardinals have to improve their offense. There is no questioning that. They have to. But competitively looking at their, their pitching, their, their pitching is there with anybody. I really believe that. Improving their offense, Dan, how do you think that they're going to be able to go about that? Because we know that financially it's going to be more difficult for them. Are they hoping that that comes internally? Or do you think they're going to be able to go out and make a move? I, I like Going back to what we always talk about, I mean, looking at budgets and getting creative, do you mm-hmm. re-sign Wong? Hope. 
uh, is Dylan Carlson internally is number one. I mean, yeah. DeYoung, can he hold up for, you know, that DeYoung is not, by the end of the year, is he going to be the guy that you hope for? Do you re-sign Wong? Is Yachty coming back? I, 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 there's not enough time to answer that question. I, I do think there's going to be bargains, though, Michelle. I mean, we've talked about this a lot. I mean, the Cardinals have six arbitration pl- players, primarily pitching, coming back. And you start looking at, I was doing some looking at this with other teams. There are some teams that are, uh, in a bind with a lot of arbitration eligible players. Cardinals have six. There are some teams that have like 10 to 12, I, just a ton of guys that are arbitration eligible. And when it comes to budgetary constraints, they're just not going to go to arbitration with them and they're going to, they're going to wave goodbye to them. And mm-hmm. so I think then you say, where are we in December and January as a country? And then do you say, okay, we are going to have fans in the stands, so that means that these guys are going to either take a one-year deal or they're going back to their teams or they become free agents. And then they say, where, where, you know, what, what does that look like for a landscape of a one-year deal? Do they, and then the Cardinals maybe can go out and get that bargain deal. But as it pertains to what they need to do as a whole, they have to improve their offense. There is, there's just no other way to look at it. It's got to get better. Mm-hmm. It just has to. But we also have to remember that that's the avenue. It's going to be that non-tendered guy, the way that the Cardinals got David Eckstein. It's not going to be through an Arenado trade. It's not going to be through a Lindor trade. It's not going to be through a big free agent signing like George Springer. Wouldn't think. I mean, unless they get just ridiculous, creative, yeah. crazy. I, I don't see that happening. I, I don't either. And Could be wrong. Under the circumstances, I don't blame them. But like you, I don't think anybody in baseball, because the Yankees don't need to sign anybody. I, I don't think anybody in baseball is going to be going out and signing George Springer to that ridiculous contract. And if I'm a player, let's kind of reverse the role here. If, what if you're a player? So do you just take the guaranteed money because you say we're, we're in a crazy time in our lives and you just say, well, here's a three-year deal. You're going to make generational type money anyway. So you get, uh, I'm just throwing out arbitrary numbers. So you get three for 18 and you mm-hmm. could have gotten three for 45. And I know that's ridiculous, but I don't do, think it's out of the realm of possibility. Do you take it? Yeah, I don't know. Or do pl- are players more inclined to take a one year deal right. yeah. that's down by 2022? And that's my point. You know, I, I think any of that stuff is on the table and, and I'm not sure, at least in people that I talk to, they don't really know. It's the great unknown because we just don't know. I mean, how about the commissioner yesterday before game one saying, look at the season with an asterisk and saying, we hope to get 162 and we hope to have the start of spring training on time and, you know, hope to have fans, hope to have 25%, 50% full stadiums. We just don't know. And then the appetite of those fans to go to the ballpark if and when it opens up. So I think everybody is kind of in a wait and see period and it's going to be a really just uh, I just a crazy time in the sport over the next 6 months. But again, I think we're getting to hopefully light at the end of the tunnel and then we we get to see what it's going to look like. Interested to see what the sport on the field becomes. And obviously the Dodgers are really expensive, but the the Dodgers are a team that can manufacture a run. The the Rays are not a team that can manufacture a run. Obviously the Cardinals... Do you know what the percentage was, not to interrupt, yeah. I, even though I'm interrupting, do you know what the percentage was of going into the series 
of uh, runs that they scored in postseason play via the home run. It was in the 70s, right? For 79%. Tampa? Wow. Yeah. And that's the, the three true outcomes. And I know the Cardinals, they want to manufacture runs. And maybe this is a way that the Cardinals can succeed and improve, but doing so without spending outrageous money. And that's by manufacturing runs. Because the guys you have to pay are the guys that hit home runs. But if you can get a bunch of guys that can get on base and run, manufacture runs, kind of build it like Whitey Ball. You have Goldschmidt in the middle of the lineup. Hope, hopefully somebody else steps up. But get more athletic players that can get on base and manufacture some runs with the pitching they have. Maybe you could... Good, good point. Uh, two years ago, they ran a lot. I, I wonder if they didn't run as much. And my guest will be Mike Schilt. And... Um, I wonder if they didn't. I, I I should ask him about this, but I wonder if they didn't run as much this year because the team was physically just kind of worn out. You know, now they got they got on base a lot. Mm-hmm. Th- that's been proven. That's in the numbers. The on base percentage was there. They just didn't didn't slug. And if you look at I look at the Dodgers. I mean, they get a couple guys on and boom, there's yep. a home run. You look at Tampa Bay. I mean, they're hitting bombs everywhere. That's just how the game is played this year. Yeah. And and no one, even with a runner at second in extra innings, no one bunts. No, nobody knows how to. That's the problem. They guys just don't know they don't know how to bunt. Yeah. I, you gotta have the personnel, right? Right. So you people don't bunt because they can't. Yeah. I, I I'm not gonna say the player, but I remember a few years ago I said, Hey, how come he didn't bunt with this guy? He can't get a, a runner home from third. Why don't you just try to bunt? He goes, because he can't. Mm-hmm. That's what he said to me. See I it? couldn't believe it. And they're just not being taught that at, a, at a, a certain level? I think that's, yes. I think um, when you are at a, so when these guys are signed to the greater question, or to the greater point of the question, and it's a valid question, um, I think when these kids are, are taught the game, for their, their chances of getting signed, it's how fast are you? Uh, how hard are you throwing and launch angle and power? It's not about ro- moving. Like these guys don't know how to play the game of what yeah. we all grew up around, which is: Did you hit behind the runner? Do you know how to bunt? Um, um, do you know how to read the ball off the bat when you're running? They, like th- that's not being taught at certain levels of the game, and so it's being taught when they're getting into pro ball. And sometimes it's too late because guys are getting rushed to the big leagues because they are paid so much money when those elite players are signed. So they're rushed to the big leagues, and then all of a sudden you're you're caught because you can't teach that sometimes at the major league level. You know what? I, this just struck me now that we have Does that the make sense? DH. Yeah. Now that we have the DH at the major league level, presumably we're going to have it. One of the things that the players loved most during spring training was a pitching and bunting competition between the pitchers. Remember that? The, oh, yeah. It's, and the players love it. They love mm-hmm. winning that inter-squad pitchers game. Well, now that you aren't going to have the pitchers hitting anymore, why not have that be among the regular players? Why not have a, a bunting competition among your position players? There you go. Here's one of the things I said. It was guys take BP, and you know they always drop down a bunt. I always said, why are they doing that anyway? Well, yeah, right. But that, now Mark, they, Mark McGuire did. They, they do it now to kind of track the ball coming. Mm-hmm. I get why they're doing it. The part of it was, hey, we're in case we have to bunt, we're going to bunt one up the first baseline, left uh, third baseline, first baseline. You know, it's, but it's also to track the ball coming in. Right. It's kind of a drill. But to the point I'm trying to make is, you're never going to do it anyway. No, now. So what's the point? They just don't bunt. You no. just don't see. I, 
I know there's a anti-bunting crowd, and they still think there is a place for it in the game. And I know there's people driving off the road going, Dan, shut up. No, there is. <laughs> there, there's no bunting in the game. I still think there's a place for it. There totally is, especially if your game is built on pitching and run suppression. If you can count on allowing two or three a game, and you figure we're going to win by one, Manufacturing a run is a pretty big deal. And if you're Rob Manfred likes the extra innings, I think that's staying. Yeah. And if that's going to happen, then what makes more sense than bunting a runner over, getting him to third with less than two out and scoring a run? Especially if you hold, you're at home and you hold the team and you're tied. Game over. It's game over, man. Yeah. I I happen to agree with that. And. By the way, the Cardinals have one of the great bunchers of all time, Ozzie Smith, in spring training every year. So if, if, you, if a player wanted to improve his bunting skills, all he has to do is find number one. And again, I understand it's, it's not as easy as to say, well, why can't you bunt? I mean, guys are throwing 98-mile-an-hour sinkers today as opposed yeah. to 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, guy that was throwing ninety eight was like, oh, everybody's like, whoo, you know, you stop, you, know, you stopped. With you. Now everybody's throwing ninety eight, and right. you know, and they sink it. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's hard to do. Kind of, yeah. It just it should be done. It should be able to be done. That's all I'm saying. Looking forward to hearing from the skipper. Yeah, hopefully, uh, I asked Mike to stay with us for a while. Hopefully, he Good. will. And- We'll kind of cover what happened in 2020. And we want to know because we talked about it in our last segment. How this offense can improve from within, from the with the players that they have. We'll see if we can get into it. Like it. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Mike Schilt coming up. Looking forward to that. Thank you to our producer engineer, Scott Manziar. Great job. Thanks, Randy. Michelle, that was fun. Thank you. It was fun, Randy. See you tomorrow. And we appreciate you tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show for all of us till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.